Gabe. Yes. How do we pick movies? Uh, randomly. We we randomly select them. So we're not always going to get clean content. Yeah, we're not. Yeah, I, I I agree. We might find some things that um you know might be disagreeable to some listeners. Yeah, and what's the important thing about a podcast? I just think that everyone can listen and enjoy it. Exactly. So, what are we gonna do in this episode? We might talk about some adult themes. Maybe some adult language might be mentioned in reference to the film. We might quote some words. Yeah, we might quote some... You don't find savory. Some big people words. <laughs> some big people words. So if you have little people with you, you just might want to be aware that <laughs> there might be some big people words mentioned. Little people as in children. Yes. We want their little baby ears to be protected. <laughs> yeah. We want everyone to be able to enjoy our show and listen to it, and sometimes we discuss things that might be more mature. And if you're listening to this now... This is one of those episodes. Yeah. So um, listen to it on your own. Put your headphones in. Make sure your kids are buckled up if they are in the car. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a, that's a good idea. That has nothing to do with listening. Just be safe out Don't there. Don't strap them to the hood of the car if yeah. you've been doing that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, you've been warned. Fair warning. We just want everyone to know that uh, in this episode, we might say some, some big people words. Just letting you know. Big people words. Thanks, Gabe. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Rewind Cinema, the podcast where we go back in time and randomly select a movie to give our uneducated opinions about. I am Matt Morris, as always. I'm joined by... Gabe Whitehurst. And we have a special guest today. His name is Josh Reebok. Very special guest. Yeah. Right here in front of us. <laughs> it's good to feel special, guys. Thanks for having me. <laughs> of course. <laughs> His man bun is intact. He's yeah. <laughs> Took me 20 minutes to do it. Josh okay. is a uh, fellow resident of New York like us, but unlike us, he is a, a novelist, a public speaker, a poet, if you will, and also a fellow podcaster. So he does a lot of things. He wears many, many hats. Um, I mean, Heroes and Monsters is a book that I read, and I love that it touched me. Yeah. I've told you that before. Thanks so for reading it, it man. It of course. It means a lot to me. Thank yeah. you. So just give our guests an idea of who you are, where you're from, yeah, you know, right. what are your interests. Yeah, so you mentioned I live in New York City. I mean, that's only uh, two and a half, <laughs> that's only two and a half years of, yeah. the, of the almost, ne right. next month is my birthday, so I'm starting to try to get used to saying Happy early birthday. Thank yeah. you. Just um, say it. Try to say it three times in this show. I'm 38. By the, <laughs> end, by the end of the episode. Try It'll to start say. to feel normal. <laughs> yeah. So I'm originally from like Chicago land area, both my wife and I. We grew up five houses apart. Uh, we got married. Um, and after a seven-year stint in Austin, Texas, and a one-and-a-half-year stint in Charleston, South Carolina, we made our way to uh, Manhattan. Yeah. yeah. And like you said, I'm a, I'm a writer. I'm, I'm a poet. And, uh, and I sure love movies. So this is a real treat for me to get to talk about them. Yeah. Cool, man. Josh is host of the Marrow podcast uh, over there at At Will Radio. Please check it out. If you have not listened, yeah. it's excellent. Mm -hmm. We really, really like listening to it this year. Yep. Um, conversations with creatives, as you say, just about the process, about yeah. what drives them, what they like, yeah. so who sure they are, and why they make what they make. I'm sure you mm -hmm. have fun with that. Oh, I, I mean, I have fun, but these people blow my mind. Yeah. <laughs> when you get like the the you know ballerina at the New York City yeah. Ballet, yeah. and you get musicians and architects, and they they the way they conceive the worlds in which they work and the way they execute that to me yeah. is pretty inspiring. So I, I I consider it an honor 
Mm-hmm. Just yeah. to uh, get to record. I enjoyed them. every episode, man. It was great. Yeah, like 18, yeah. 18 episodes in the first season. Yeah. So it was, it was excellent. Yeah. Loved it. Amazing so, people. Josh, we met. I'm trying to remember. I think I met <laughs> you at our friend Andy's wedding. Okay. But I, down in Austin, Texas. Yep. But uh, yep. we have a mutual friend named Andy. I think that's where we met. We may have met prior to that when I was visiting Andy, but I don't remember. But we met when you and Kristen were living in Austin. Yep. Um, and then I was, so I was always attracted to you in a very non-sexual and sexual <laughs> platonic, way. In a platonic and it could have beyond been both. platonic <laughs> Maybe. We're using platonic in quotation yeah, yeah. marks here. <laughs> uh, but we've known each other for like yeah. five years now. Five yeah. or six years. Yeah. It, and, fe- it feels longer though. Yeah. And then you moved here and it was like the greatest night of my life. But, it, to, but that was amazing because I didn't know you lived here until we had said to someone else that we were relocating and they really? said, you know who lives there? Gabe. And so then, of course, when we pulled the Penske truck up <laughs> yeah. to unload our stuff, well, I'm like yes. an hour out and I was like, you know who I need to text? Gabe Whitehurst. And nice, you showed up man. like a oh, champion, man. Oh, you except, saved us. Except that's not true. I was like fanboy and I was like, <laughs> I need to get in and help <laughs> Josh move. Gabe so, helped me move in too. So oh, he's man. just a yeah. moving guy. So if, if for anyone out there listening, <laughs> if you're moving to New York, call Gabe. Call Gabe. Um, but yeah, my generation was the. F- I think that I think I may have read that second. I don't remember. But Heroes and Monsters came out when Matt and I were in college. Mm-hmm. And um, of course, with Andy writing the song about it and and just reading it, yeah, I agree with Matt. It's been a kind of a seminal book in my life, just as a yeah. young guy. So it was really good for me. That too. means a ton mm-hmm. to me, yeah. guys. Thanks, yeah. buddy. For, thank you for reading. I'm almost done with the third one. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm almost done. As I'm I've annoyingly excited. asked you like once a month for the last year, like when is it yeah, going to be done? Yeah, but you know, I don't know how much stock you can put in my answer because I think I've been saying for the last year I'm almost done. <laughs> okay. I genuinely am. I swear. It's I part swear, of the process. I swear man. it exists and I swear I'm almost done. I believe it when I get a, pre, a, <laughs> yeah. a pre-release a pre-release copy when I get to read it <laughs> and send my edits back to you. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> In red pen. Um, <laughs> exactly. The right. manuscript. Yeah, man, I can't um, wait to read it. Okay, so what have you been watching recently? We wanted to talk to you about the It trailer mm-hmm. as we just yes. we were trying to not talk about it before the show because it came out and it scared the hell out of well, me. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. I mean, expound on, like, what, what does it look like when, when you get the hell scared out of you, Gabe? Like, what does that look like? Um, I, it's generally accompanied with crying, like in a corner, <laughs> in a fetal position, shaking a little bit, yeah, and also right. urinating. Hiding, <laughs> hiding under a blanket. You yeah, yeah, out. yeah. Thumb in, my thumb goes <laughs> yeah, in my mouth. Right, right. Um, but I, I haven't read the book, and I've actually mm-hmm. only seen pieces of the original, so okay. I am very behind the times here, but it, okay. uh, I'm excited for this because you, I know, are a Stephen King fan. Yeah. Um, you, you know. Well, so. and, and, and I have anticipated this movie, I mean, for, for, for people that don't know, I mean, the, the original book is, is um, beyond a thousand pages. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. massive. So, so the challenge of encapsulating that within a two and a half hour film is really impossible if, if you want to remain faithful to um, kind of the origins of it. Yeah. So, so the idea is they're going to split it into two films, and the okay. whole, you know, the whole first half is about these kids in this town, and then the second half, or the second film in this case, will be uh, about when these kids have become adults. So when I heard that, I was thrilled because the the original. A TV movie starring Tim Curry. Yeah, mm-hmm. most um, people don't know it's a TV movie. Yeah, I had no yeah, idea. Yeah, it's definitely yeah, made for TV. It, yeah, TV movie. Um, John Boy from the Waltons is also in it. But but, <laughs> it, but 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 in that in that they they I mean they they try to condense it. And so obviously, as someone who enjoys the book, um, obviously a lot is lost. But so when I heard they were going to make it into two films, um, I was thrilled. And so as the as the trailer as I'm as I'm kind of waiting with bated breath for the trailer. Mm-hmm. 
you're kind of waiting to see if the trailer is any inkling that the film <laughs> yeah. is going to echo yeah. the book. Yeah. And when I saw the trailer, which what came out, you know, last uh, week in March here. Yeah. I, I mean, I, 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 I immediately finished it. It was fun. I don't even know what to say. I immediately finished it and just pushed play again. Yeah. And then I just pushed play again. Okay. And, I, and I think about an hour of my day was I texted. Absorbed. I texted you because I know you. And I said, how many times have you watched it? Have you already watched it like 20 times? And oh, you yeah. said yes. Yeah. All right. It really wow. is a phenomenal trailer. Yeah. Yeah. You it gives it. very little away. I mean, you know it, obviously, because it has a past, but it doesn't really lend its hand to anything. You kind of see it a little bit. And then, you know, yeah. it's not too much. I don't know the guy who's playing him, though. Me either. I, I think it isn't it. Uh, I think his name. It's, it's a Skarsgård. Yeah, Bill, Bill Skarsgård. Is he related to mm. the other Skarsgård? Stellan. Yes. The other one of yeah. the Stellan Skarsgård okay. clan, who played Jared Lambo in Goodwill Hunting. Yes. Okay. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. what I'm mm-hmm. curious about. It's one of, it? I believe it's one of his sons. Okay. Cool. And so there's like there's and and one of another one of the sons is actually playing a part right now in a television show on HBO called Big Little Lies. Yeah, he's also. I mean, they're all they're all so dynamic. All right, the Skarsgård clan. It yeah. looks like uh, Bill Skarsgård's about to take off because he's uh, he's got about six movies in production right really? now. Really? So. Nice. <laughs> yeah, a lot of stuff coming out this what, year. What was he in that that got him noticed? I don't even. Oh, I couldn't tell you. Um, he was well, in Allegiant last year. Um, that wasn't it. Anna nah. Karenina. <laughs> Anna Karenina. In oh, Anna Karenina. Was it? Was he the main the the main dude? Mahoten? I don't know. I don't know Anna Karenina. Yeah. Okay. So, um, well, well, needless to say, when I saw this trailer, um, and and yeah, they they don't show him ever full on, not in flesh and blood. Yeah. They, they do almost in uh in like the slideshow. There's a slideshow where he's kind of almost superimposed himself into what right. I think is probably one of the moms in a photo, mm-hmm. and all the kids are looking at this slideshow on a screen, like one of those yeah. old kind of carousel projectors. But other than that, you only get kind of. I don't know, almost shadows of him yeah. until the last shot the last in the second. trailer. Yeah, I was going to say, he shows up and... And, and it is terrifying. Yeah, for yeah. me, for me, it was terrifying. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, it's funny, though, because my my wonderful best friend and wife asked me, she's like, I don't understand you because you say you don't like <laughs> horror films. She's like, but you love The Shining and then you'll watch the It trailer 20 times. And so I don't, I don't completely understand that part of me either, but those, The Shining and then this It trailer in the movie... Mm-hmm. I am waiting for in a way that I would normally avoid when yeah. it comes to, to the you know stereotypical yeah. horror genre. Maybe you saw them at the right times. I, don't I know, know I'm that way. There's something about that. The things that are freakishly entertaining and yeah. dark. I, I think we're all just drawn to it. Like you just have to see what is going to happen. Mm-hmm. You have to watch. <laughs> but see, for me, I'm drawn to. I want to read the the book. Yeah. But I know that it's going to just get in my head and I'm going to be horrified. I mean, do the it. idea do it. the idea Can't of it is night. horrifying. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. I just I just rented The Dark Tower, the first one. Oh. So I'm diving into that world right now, which I know is going to take a while. And you know the movie is coming out I for do. That this, right, which this is kind summer, of, I think. Uh, kind of lame for me. That that's why I'm doing it is cuz I sort of want to be familiar with it. But mm-hmm. Yeah, I just Stephen King's amazing. I just finished The Long Walk uh, mm-hmm. on recommendation from Andy. Mhm. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's terrifying and mm. wonderful. So I'm I'm getting into King. I like him. Yeah. Well, in the whole premise, I it, you know I think of it. Most people associate it with the clown form, but the clown is just a form that it right. takes. Really, mm-hmm. it, it is kind of more of this darker entity that manifests right. as whatever your greatest fear is, which is yeah. horrifying. It's so scary. That's, that's how they get rid. Haven't of Haven't they now, seen Batman and Scarecrow <laughs> and what he does to people <laughs> yeah. and how he appears to them as whatever they're afraid of? That's yeah. Right. Come on. All right. Well, needless to say, I, I have I have spent much time over the last seven days 
digesting and redigesting that uh, that trailer, which is probably part of what we'll get into as we talk about, I guess, the primer movie today. Because yes. I, ha- I have a tendency to watch and rewatch and rewatch mm-hmm. things yeah. that that uh, echo with me. Well, that's a perfect segue, unless you have any other. No, go for it. Okay. Well, today we're talking about the master. Back to the start. Okay. Do you often think about how inconsequential you are? Yes. Do you believe that God will save you? No. Have you ever had sex with a member of your family? Yes. Are you lying? No. Who? My Auntie Bertha. Where's your aunt now? I don't know, maybe home. Are you lying? No. Are you a liar? Yes. Have you killed anyone? Yes. Who? Japs in war. Do you regret this? No. What are you running from? Maybe heard a man, I think. Maybe he's dead, I don't know. Where? In Salinas, he stole a batch of my booze and he drank it. Is this booze you make poison? Not if you drink it, smart. Are you trying to poison me? Mm, no. Where's your father? Dead. How did he die? Drunk. Where's your mother? Where's your mother? Really dead. She's psychotic. Yes. What is the name of your aunt? Bertha. How did you come to have sex with your auntie Bertha? I was drunk and she looked good. And you did it again and again? Yes. Have you ever had bad thoughts about Master Peggy? Yes. What did you think? I thought you were fools. Am I a fool to you? No, sir. If you were locked in a room for the rest of your life, who would be in there with you? Doris. Who's Doris? Best girl ever met girl I'm marry one day. Is she in Lynn? Yes. Lynn, Massachusetts? Yes, sir. Why aren't you with her? Uh, I'm an idiot. Why aren't you with that lovely girl? I got no reason. I'm a fool. Do you love Doris? Yes. Is she the love of your life? Yes, sir. Why aren't you with her? I don't know. Yes, you do. Tell me why you're not with her if you love her so much. I told her I'd come back, and I never went back, and now I just, I gotta get back to her. Why don't you go back? I don't know. Why don't you go back? I don't know! Close your eyes. All right. The Master uh, is a movie that I am ashamed to say that I never saw in theaters, because I love PTA. I love him. Paul Thomas Anderson. And uh, I, I remember having tickets to the 70 millimeter show back home, but I can't remember why I didn't go. I didn't go for some reason. Hopefully it was important. But um, yeah, I'd never seen it. And I mean, I love Boogie Nights. I love Punch Drunk Love. I love There Will Be Blood. I love Magnolia. We all went. Love everything. Uh, I think it was two years ago. We saw Inherent Vice together. All three of us. Yes. Yeah. In, uh, in Manhattan. Not his best, but it was, it was still good. It was mm-hmm. enjoyable. Mm-hmm. It yeah. Was, yeah. It wasn't yeah. my favorite, but I don't. You're not alone. I haven't seen the master either. This yeah. was my first time. And Josh, how many times have you seen it? <laughs> I'd rather, I'd rather, not, say, I'd yeah. rather not say. I mean, as we get into the content, I'm afraid yeah. of how yeah. closely that will like <laughs> su- be suggestive of of my inner secrets. How but many okay. hours do you think you've been watching this movie? It's that. also revealing <laughs> lots. <laughs> but but I think you can say just a short glimpse into your process as a writer. I know you have a very unique process where you will turn on a movie. And just leave it on, or a, or even a trailer, mm-hmm. as we just talked about, mm-hmm. and sort of write to that, and mm-hmm. not 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 about that, obviously, but you'll just have that as a background thing, mm-hmm. and and so I'm assuming you've done that with this movie. Yeah, I I mean the the things you're referring to, I mean for me, when it comes to trying to to get to truth when you're writing, I use other pieces of of art, be it a film or sure. a song or a trailer. They kind of uh, become bumpers. And they help me kind of establish atmosphere. And so the master, actually, with the with the book I'm finishing now, the master has been on for many months at a time wow. in my house as I have written. 
Okay. Dang. So that that's a good segue into my question: is mm-hmm. why do you why do you love this movie so much? Yeah, um, I I, di- I did see this movie in the theater. Um, I think I think it came out in 2012. I think mm-hmm. that's the year it came out. Um, and I I I think I was drawn to it primarily because this was uh, P.T. Anderson's follow up to There Will Be Blood, which I resonated yeah. with so strongly. Yeah. Um, compounded by the fact that I was such a fan and remain such a fan of. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, uh, Amy Adams, Joaquin Phoenix, obviously, but e- but even some of the more peripheral characters. Laura Dern is in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, Rami Malek, who is who is now really kind of hit his stride in Mr. Robot. Even mm-hmm. Jesse Plemons plays a a minor character. He was yeah. in um what Friday Night, Friday Night Lights. Lights. He's in Fargo. Mm-hmm. D- done a lot of work. So so I was drawn to it immediately. But I I, I mean I I don't know if I would say I love the film because that because that that is suggestive that it's always affection mm-hmm. okay. i think i probably have a little more of a complicated relationship with it <laughs> and I, and one of the things i think that um allows this movie for me to remain in my kind of constant viewing rotation is that to me this movie and and this is a actually symbol in the movie not only in the movie but in the movie poster this movie is like a rorschach Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a Rorschach yeah. is created by a man named Herman Rorschach in the early 1900s. It's an inkblot test. And they would show um, whether that was someone who was maybe uh, mentally troubled or even someone in therapy, they would show them an inkblot test and they would say, what do you see? And the idea was what the person sees in it is very much more indicative of them than the person who drew the blot to begin with. Right. Mm-hmm. And to me, this movie is like that in that depending upon my kind of current emotional climate, I see and experience and encounter different things in it depending upon where I am. Whereas with other movies, I find the experience is way more static. Yeah. Like if I watch the karate kid, I tend to feel the same way every time. I'm like, Oh my gosh, Danny's doing the crane kick. This is amazing. You know, like I tend to feel the same way, but with the master, I find that my experience varies greatly depending upon where I am kind of in that moment. And so I think Mm -hmm. that's one of the reasons that, you know, if you want to use the word love or, or or why does it remain relevant to me, I think it's because it can kind of morph and meet me where I might be that particular day, week, or moment. Okay. okay. And I think I just, this is random, but I want to say one of the things that I and I think Matt, we both really love about you is that you are someone who will suggest to us for your episode of this show that we watch The Master and we talk about it. And it's easy for us to think, oh, he's a writer, he's a poet, he's a speaker, he's going to be the, you know, he's this arrogant guy who's into deep film. And then you reference Karate Kid. (laughs) Um, Because as you said earlier, one of the other films you thought about suggesting for this show was Clue. (laughs) So, well rounded individual. Yeah, I was just going to say a note to our listeners if you have a friend who you think is like some movie buff, you should just drop that person if they are like that, because they need to be more like Josh. Josh respects. Karate Kid. I guarantee you, he could come on the show and talk about Karate Kid for two hours <laughs> yeah. and find a and, hidden meeting in it. Yeah, <laughs> and and uh, yeah. so um, that's just an encouragement to everyone to find good friends who like good films. Yeah, and for all your friends that are. They they posture themselves as too pretentious for something else. On the weekends, they're watching the TBS marathon of Nick Cage. Yeah, true, true, true. Yes, they are. Or The Bachelor, yeah, you know, yeah. what have you. <laughs> Which I'm not above watching either. So, no, me neither. Me uh, neither. Yeah, snake Eyes. <laughs> uh, cool. <laughs> Face Off. Yeah, great movie. All right. All next right. episode's Face Off. I'm just kidding. It's not. Yeah. <laughs> not exactly. Uh, so, any more questions? Is that the. Uh, the other question we have for you, and, and we don't have to take forever, but mm-hmm. uh, just when did when did good story 
and film. Yeah. When did film come into your consciousness? I mean, um, per my family's oral tradition, and you know, who knows if this is true, because I think I would have been two years old at the time, but per the oral Reebok family tradition, <laughs> the first movie I was taken to was Empire Strikes Back. Oh, okay. Uh, Wonderful. And, and apparently, um, as, as expected, you know, the mm -hmm. theater was packed, and so my family was in the front row. And I kept asking throughout. The, the only question I asked was, where's R2-D2, Mom? That's, that's all, you know, Darth Vader, Luke's hand getting cut off, spoiler alert. I didn't yeah, care about yeah. it. I just wanted to know where R2-D2 was. But that, at least according to what my family says, is my first exposure to film. But, but, but I, what I do remember is loving movies. Mm -hmm. um, sure. And on, on a very, like, uh, I don't know, may, maybe on a more personal level, what I loved about movies and uh i mean you could you could add to that uh television or books or comic books or whatever um was in the dynamics of my house stories were like an oasis kind of from the chaos of my home my dad uh and and you all know this my dad was an alcoholic mm -hmm. um my parents were hoarders so it was just it was kind of chaos all the time mm. and so my one of the ways i kind of um or or one of the defense mechanisms i established from that was stories so i'd go in my room i'd read the hardy boys <laughs> um, or I'd, or I'd, I had a TV in my room, and so I'd pop something in the VCR. I'd watch The Secret of Nim, you know, this amazing yeah. cartoon. Um, you know, stories like that, or The Dark Crystal, which is more of like a Jim Henson pop. Yes. Yeah, terrifying. <laughs> oh, as as all, I mean, it's like Labyrinth, you know, with yes. David Bowie. It's like all those movies were crazy and creepy, but mm -hmm. but they really did. They they kind of insulated me from some of the the chaos happening around me, and so I I always gravitated uh, towards narratives not not just because i enjoyed them but i i felt like they were kind of like protecting me from some of the some yeah. of the things even under my own household so i've always loved them um and i always learned from them and i do have this obsession with not just watching one or reading one but watching them or reading them over and over like i kind of have an adage where if it's not worth watching twice it's not worth watching once mm. yeah or if it's not worth reading twice it's not worth reading once exactly and so i i kind of i kind of feel that way and so that's why i I always ingest these things over and over, but all that kind of began when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Yeah, deep yeah. there. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Very good response to the question. So we'll go ahead and move on with the uh, the master now. Uh, just some actors that are notable, and there are many of them in this movie. You got Joaquin, you have your Philip Seymour Hoffman, you have your Amy Adams, uh, like you mentioned, Jesse Plemons, and uh, the guy from Mr. Robot, forgot his name. Rami Malek. Rami Malek. Uh, Laura Dern. This movie is packed with people. And in... These are some of the most powerful performances from any of them that I've seen, honestly. I love the acting. Amy Adams, for me, wasn't necessarily exactly what I wanted from that part, but she was still great. And and this movie was nominated for so many Oscars. And I just got to say, Philip Seymour Hoffman did not win Best Supporting Actor that year. Can you guess who did? Yes. Do you know who it is? I do. I who don't. Is it? I don't. It was Christoph Waltz and Django. Yeah, oh, which he was great, okay. mm -hmm. All right. but I don't think on Philip Seymour Hoffman's yeah. level, honestly. Mm -hmm. So that disappointed me a little to see that. Which is weird. Did he win for Inglorious Bastards before that? Kristoff? Uh, Kristoff? Yeah. Mm. That's a good question. I don't know. I don't know. Possibly. I mean, because I feel, I feel like he should have won for that if he... Maybe he did, but uh, it's Hans Landa, Hans <laughs> Landa, amazing. Um, yeah, well, that wasn't the same year, right? Inglorious Bastards came out like what? Yeah, yeah, it was before. It was before, yeah. but I'm just saying it. Um, the case for Philip winning, yeah, you know, stronger there. I think, yeah. maybe. And unfortunately, this was his last nomination as well, which mm. really bummed me out. Yeah, yeah. I have a sad piece of trivia. I don't know if it's real. What? 
Why? Oh, move, the, move on to your to, through your spiel and we'll to get my to other trivia stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, the budget was thirty-two million, and it, it grossed sixteen point five, which was interesting. I thought I remembered this doing better than it did, but mm. I guess it's kind of an art sense. house film. All the PT Anderson fans <laughs> went and saw it, and then yeah. no, nobody else yeah. <laughs> saw it. All of Brooklyn went and saw it. <laughs> yeah, that's hey, right. <laughs> if you can make sixteen point five mil just on your fans alone, yeah, hey, it's fine. You're doing okay. You're doing okay, but it still didn't make up its budget. And I mean, this is where I was going to get into the trivia. So I think I know what you're going to say, but yeah. I think it's real. Yeah, uh, it's, uh, one of them, I mean, I have a few here, but apparently Philip Seymour Hoffman had his first drink in 23 years mm-hmm. at the rap party of this movie, leading to a relapse in mm. of his alcoholism. Yeah. So I, yeah. we always talk about in the show, I don't know if IMDb trivia is like lore or if it's real. <laughs> yeah, right. It's like, I, I want to sort of find out who writes these things, yeah, but that's right. one of the, the, the facts. So if so, that's, that's too bad. Yeah, mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Well, they have an upvote, downvote system, so I'm sure if there was no truth to it, it would get <laughs> downvoted into oblivion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because there are lots of trivia facts that do that end up in yeah. like zero out of 135 people found this helpful or so whatever. I have a few, but you, you go ahead with one and then we'll just swap here. Um, yeah, there's one that I'll get into later in a specific scene. Um, but something interesting is we don't really need to talk about this in the context of the film. There are some links to Scientology. It's not about Scientology, though, personally, I think. It's yeah, about no. the two men's relationship. But uh, Joaquin Phoenix's parents actually escaped the uh, Children of God cult in the 1970s, which if you don't mm. know what that is, it was a very infamous kind of inbreeding sex cult in the 70s. It was mm. very dangerous. People died, but there was a lot of like incest going on. It was just not a good, not a good thing. Um, but his parents escaped, and so he has some sort of relationship to, um, mm. you know, cults in general. So I thought mm. that was interesting. I feel like I, I need to leave that Facebook group because I joined it like, just a <laughs> few weeks ago, and I had no idea <laughs> that that's what it was. So um, I'm going to go home and... and Hopefully he uh, doesn't have too many followers. Un- unsubscribe, <laughs> unfollow. Um, yeah, so another piece I had, um, which I have a, a prop here for us to enjoy during the mm. show, but apparently drinking jug juice... <laughs> quote jug juice is a navy slang for imbibing mixed uh f- i'm sorry imbibing fuel mixed with cans of fruit mm. um and if you watch this movie freddie walking phoenix uh gets ethanol out of a torpedo on a ship yeah and then he also makes several drinks later with paint thinner yep Mm-hmm. Um, which is just also terrifying, just knowing what it could do. <laughs> yeah. Actually, not knowing what it could do to your body, but I, I yeah. guarantee it would just mess you up. You don't take um, shots of paint thinner? Terribly. Yeah. So just in honor of that, I've brought a special uh, drink here. I want to open it. Let's see this. See Can you this, get the cork sound? See this catches the... Oh, yeah. It'll good. get that. that was It'll get okay, that. Okay, so uh, this is bourbon. This is... Not the strongest bourbon in the world, but it's stronger than your average bourbon. This is Old Grandad, so you know you're in trouble right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Um, this is Old Grandad 114. It's 100, 114 it's like proof. It's like a bust of like John Adams. Yeah, or like it some is. It's actually, it's actually Basil Hayden, who uh, there's another bourbon called Basil Hayden's, which mm. is made by Jim Beam. But this Old Grandad, if you didn't know, is Basil Hayden. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's 114 proof. So It's, it's a got, great name. Yeah, right. Like it's got it, a yeah. nice little um, red hot cinnamon okay, uh, well, flavor. No, so we're, I'm just going to pour you each a taste. We'll Let's go for we'll it. Partake. And um, you want to one, two, three it and go at the same time? What do you want to uh, do? Just whatever you want. You yeah, know, we're all kind of channeling our internal Freddie Quell, the Freddie yeah. Quell, and all yeah. of this. <laughs> this is a, this is a Freddie. Hopefully Quell. not too much Freddie Quell. So <laughs> y- you might want to like maybe let it breathe. I don't know. Maybe just swirl it around to this little taste. Come on, and we're men. We'll just hit it and then we'll just get a, a reaction. So okay, we're gonna clink to to Philip Seymour Hoffman. To Philip Seymour Hoffman, clink clink. 
Yummy. That's good. It's good. A little bit of tingle in your nose. I want a little go, bit of paint thinner in my uh, nose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's those, those, those cartoons when they go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Flames come out yeah. of your mouth. That's good um, though. So it's here for you if you want Thank it. Thank you, Gabe. You know, people um, are going to hate me for saying this, but there's something about strong liquor that always reminds me of the smell of a new shoe. I don't know what it mm. is. Like a there's new nothing sneaker. wrong with that. No, people uh, watch bourbon reviews online and they're like <laughs> leather, yeah. dirt, is Rocks. new new tennis shoe a tasting new note tennis on shoe? <laughs> yeah, that's shoe actually polish. just written yeah. on the back. Um, <laughs> old Nikes. So wow. yeah, that's not right. bad. Yeah, check good. out one fourteen old granddad. It's getting harder to find, so buy it now while you can because yeah. they're stopping production. I think. Why don't you but. sell your bottle for like a hundred bucks? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, I will. Cool. Well, thanks it. for bringing that. Yeah. We'll enjoy that over mm-hmm. the cast. We've got some beers here too, so we're we're really getting into the uh, minutia of the the master there. Yeah. So um, just some ratings that we found. 7.1 on IMDb. Everything seems to sit in the 7s on IMDb. I don't understand that. Maybe it's because it has so many voters on the system. 86 on Metacritic, which is very high for Metacritic. Uh, Ebert gave it 2.5 stars, which is interesting to mm. me. But he also later added it to like his decade, you know, best of the decade list or whatever. So it, mm. it might have grown on him. And then the 86% on Rotten Tomatoes. So this is a well-respected movie in general, um, which I, I think it deserves. It's a very good movie. Um, and then I also just wrote down nominated for Best Lead Actor, Supporting Actor, and Supporting Actress, but it didn't get any wins, which is just, to me, yeah. unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but now we'll just jump in into the movie. And normally what we do is we go beat by beat, but as you know, this is not necessarily not a coherent movie, but it doesn't follow a traditional structure. Mm-hmm. So I think it's okay if we go through maybe sequences because i think there are a lot of long sequences in this film just developing character developing relationships which is what this movie is all about lead the way matt i'm going to (laughs) so about the first 20 minutes of this movie and 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 please feel free to stop me and interject with any interesting scenes you liked or whatever (laughs) but it's really just about developing freddie's character and freddie is played by joaquin phoenix and he is a, a seaman, a Navy. He's in the Navy. And uh, he's offshore and he's, you know, cutting coconuts and like hitting his hand mm-hmm. with the, the machete and like having sex with, uh, you know, women made out of sand. Like he's yep. just very primal. I mean, that, you know? if you haven't seen this movie, that, that comment sounds strange. <laughs> yeah, but right. they, he's they, mimicking yeah. sex. They build a on, woman yeah. on the beach made out of sand and he... Yes. Uh, well, yeah. and, and, all that, and all that, like, to me, like, the opening scene, though, is what the whole movie's about. Mm-hmm. Yes. The, the op- or the opening sequence of scenes. And, and an important detail is this is all during World War II. Yeah. So it's all kind of... Um, I, I mean, a lot, a lot of this is someone coming out of a very intense environment, Freddie Quell, yeah. and then how he copes with life in the aftermath. But in mm-hmm. those scenes you're talking about, it's remarkable because they're kind of contrasting him off by himself, like you said, cutting coconuts, mm-hmm. almost like flirting with the idea <laughs> yeah. of cutting his own hand off yeah. while in the background all the other sailors are kind of uh, wrestling, wrestling and kind yeah. of interacting together. Yeah. So they kind of create this outsider um kind of connotation right from the beginning mm-hmm. where freddie doesn't fit and then that's obvious when all these guys have built this kind of woman made out of sand yeah and then freddie goes over <laughs> and he starts making sexual gestures to it and kind of performing sexual acts on this um, woman made out of sand and even after the guys around him his kind of um 
you know, his his fellow Navy men have ceased laughing. Mm-hmm. Freddie keeps going. It's yeah. like he clearly he clearly doesn't understand um, that his behavior isn't isn't like socially acceptable. Yeah. And so it kind yeah. of is all painting this picture of this is a guy who's kind of on the fringe of society. Yeah, and I also think it's painting the picture that he's more animalistic than most people, which mm-hmm. comes back later uh, in a scene I'll explain later. But he's just, he acts on his emotion. Like he just, mm-hmm. what he feels, he does. And so he has no filter. And so he just, he drinks a bunch. He's, he's, this is establishing as well that he's an alcoholic. Yeah, it's of, kind of like Matt at every party we've ever been to together. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. that he just, he doesn't really understand that <laughs> yeah. no one's laughing. And I don't get social norms, <laughs> yeah. man. All right. I'm an outsider. <laughs> Too much old granddad. For yeah. <laughs> so, um, and it's also interesting because he goes through tests. So they're prepping people to go out into the world after World War II. And he gets, like you said, a Rorschach test. And, um, you know, all he sees is he says pussies and penises. Mm-hmm. Like, he, that's what he mm-hmm. says. Like, yeah. oh, that's a, that's a penis going into a pussy. Or, like, yeah. that's an upside-down penis or something yeah. like that. So he's mm-hmm. very, like I said, surface-level, animalistic. All he thinks about is sex, mm-hmm. alcohol. Um, and, and it's interesting because his evaluations now are juxtaposed to, like, deeper analysis later. Um, where this is very surface level, they're just kind of going through their job, and but he still he still gets emotional uh, when they ask him to re- recall memories or whatever. So he thinks about his parents and you know how his parents, I guess, were never around, or you know his dad was a drunk, his mom was yeah. in the loony bin. You know he's a messed up guy. Do you happen to remember the documentary that those scenes were were borrowed from? Um, I don't. Mm-hmm. P- so th- there's a documentary P.T. Anderson loves, and it, uh, it's apparently amazing, but it's about. It's just about like returning vets. It was made after World War II, and it's about sort of them coming back to society. And there is a scene that is sort of word for word taken of a soldier sitting there with a, sitting there with a psychiatrist, and he's asking them like, "What what happened? What made you emotional?" And he the same quote like, "I, I received a letter from this girl, yeah. and it made me cry." And um, anyway, I just I really want to watch it, and I'm, I'm I shouldn't have brought it up because I don't know I remember yeah, the title. I don't, I don't know what it is, but uh, <laughs> it was a lot of this things from this movie were taken straight out of that yeah. uh, documentary and it's yeah anyway I need to look that up but wish I could help you sorry guys I shouldn't have said <laughs> anything just email me and tell me the name because yeah, yeah. now I don't remember but uh, interesting that it was borrowed from that yeah and it makes for a, a great story mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. Uh, so Freddie goes through his evaluations I mean at this point he's just an alcoholic like I said acting on his impulses but he gets a job as a glamour shot photographer in a mall which is very interesting because I thought, because like I said, I'd never seen this movie. So I thought that it was going to go the route of um, World War II soldiers being alienated mm-hmm. and nobody really like wanting to interact with them after the war because they killed people. And that's a really common theme with men after World War II is that they couldn't get jobs. They couldn't hold jobs because mm-hmm. people didn't want to talk to them. But he's a glamour shot photographer and um, he meets this woman. Um, I think her name is Martha. But she, you know, she's a stylist in the mall mm-hmm. and she's displaying clothes and he has a connection with her. But he gets in a fight with this guy um, because he keeps pushing Lance oh, close man. to him. Yeah. Um, such a great scene. We have though. to talk about yeah. that scene, though. We yeah, just, we do. Yes. So let's talk about it. So I just, I, I don't have an analysis of it. Well, set it, the scene up, though. I mean, the scene. Okay, so, so Freddie is taking, it's basically just showing him going through the motions of taking photos of a lot of different people, a lot of kids posing, mm-hmm. and he's very, very nice and very kind, and he's just trying very hard to be normal, I guess. And there's a photo, there's this scene where this 
single guy by himself is taking a picture for his wife. Freddie asks, are you, are you married, I think, or mm-hmm, are you mm-hmm. doing this for your wife? And he says, yes. And he just sort of starts to break down mm-hmm. at this moment in the movie. Mm-hmm. And this is early. This is the first, what, 15, 20 yeah. minutes of the movie? Yeah, yeah. Um, so the guy is posing very, very still, and Freddie stops taking photos, walks up to him, takes a, a light that's on this guy's face, yep. and moves it a little bit closer to him. <laughs> and is watching this guy, and he moves it closer, and he moves it up to this guy's face to where it's like four to five inches away. Mm-hmm. And the guy reacts and says, that's hot. He's perspiring. At yeah, he's point. sweating. <laughs> he's, a bigger, he's a bigger guy, yeah. and he's sweating, and he's, and he's agitated, and Freddie just is like, Excuse, stop, I'm trying to take a picture. I'm trying mm-hmm. to set, get the lighting mm-hmm. right. And he just, it shows that Freddie is just sort of, I don't know, PTS, basically PTSD before it had a name, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I'm assuming. And um, pushes the light in this guy's face, and this guy pushes him and gets in a fight. And we can analyze this scene, but I just want to say, in every P.T. Anderson movie I've seen, the fights are so realistic. Yeah, they're visceral. Like, yeah. I, I'm, a, I'm an acting major, and we, we were restricted by all these rules on stage of like, you know, you can't actually do this, you can't do that. And in these movies, those rules don't apply. I think yeah. theater artists suffer from that, but yeah. it's like he, he yeah. slaps him in the face. And yeah. Well, and I'm, Im- I'm, I'm immediately um, recalling the scene in there will be blood. Yes. When Daniel Day Lewis's oh, character yeah. takes Paul Dano's character and drags him in the mud, in the mud, and puts his like, face in the mud, his mouth, yeah. and like, and, and and those scenes, you're you're right. Like that scene in The Master, like, um, the one in There Will Be Blood. Like it's a long scene. It's almost like when you're expecting per cinema convention for the scene to end, it goes for like another what feels like five minutes. Yeah. It's probably ninety seconds, but it mm-hmm. continues to go. It's quiet. There's no music. It's, it's uncomfortable. It's just these two guys yeah. in the yeah. middle of a department store. And he yeah. picks up glass and he, throws the glass yeah, at yeah. him and right. you know. So he, he runs away at that point essentially. Well not runs away, but he, he throws the glass and the guy mm-hmm. is, I guess, you know, perturbed and then just leaves and then he walks away as well. But he meets with that woman as well later and they go to dinner. And uh, he falls asleep during mm-hmm. dinner because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he's wasted yeah, right. all the time, 24-7. Right. Right. So it's, I think that's just illustrating that he, even though he wants a woman to interact with, he can't because of the blocks that he has. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and, and if I can interject there, like a scene mm-hmm. that I found really, I find so um, heartbreaking, mm-hmm. even between Freddie and that woman who is a coworker in the department mm-hmm. store, at one point, he and her kind of rendezvous in like a back storage room. Yeah. And he again has made sort of this homemade concoction mm-hmm. of alcohol. He gives her some. The two kind of begin foreplay. She begins undressing. And in and in the midst of it, it's heartbreaking because this guy who is so alienated, whether it's because of PTSD yeah. or or just because of who he is, regardless of the reason. Right. You see in this moment, he has the chance to maybe forge a relationship, mm-hmm. for, forge what maybe we would term normalcy. But then as she begins to undress and they're about to have maybe some physical intimacy in this back storage room, he reverts to this like little childlike mm-hmm. um, behavior where he starts poking at her breast and yeah. laughing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, It's almost like he, he wants intimacy but can't stand mm-hmm. um, how uncomfortable that is for him to kind of submit to what yeah. that requires. Yeah. And so yeah. it's heartbreaking because it's almost like this person is responding to him. Mm-hmm. Says, hey, I like you too. And, and he can't even kind of do that right. Yeah, and there's some stuff in his past from before the army that we'll get into later mm-hmm. that probably shaped his sexual interactions for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll, we'll wait on that. 
Um, and, and so he's obviously fired because he got in a fight with somebody. <laughs> so uh, it, it immediately cuts after that scene you were talking about. So they go to dinner. There's a quick cut to him just sleeping after. He says, do you want to mm. go to dinner? Yeah. And then uh, it's him picking cabbage in a field. So he's been demoted. Now he's picking cabbage in a field, but he still has his setup where he's making moonshine. Mm-hmm. He has his own little room, yeah. Yeah. shack where he can go yeah. in and do his chemistry. Mm-hmm. And it's it's you know it's much like a chemist. Like he has yeah. beakers and yeah. he has. It's like yeah. Breaking Bad. For it really yeah. it is post World War Two. Yeah, yeah. At first I was like, what is he? I thought he was sort of making the the same thing, but he's just sort of making. It's like he knows potions for several, yeah. whatever he's got. And, he and just makes something terrible. And it's amazing how resourceful he is, because you, you mentioned earlier, he in when he's on a submarine earlier, during the war, he's draining ethanol out of a torpedo. But mm-hmm. then in subsequent scenes, it's like he's raiding medicine cabinets and using yeah. sponges and Ugh. filtering things through and yeah. kind of cobbling together whatever he can yeah. just to numb his, his mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's awful. It's, it's weird that he's so good at it. Which is strange. It's like a weird quirk about him that he's mm-hmm. like an alchemist in a way. Yeah, like right. he, he mixes the paint thinner just right mm-hmm. with. I was thinking he's an alcoholic. Yeah. He's had practice, but yeah. but but I with so. whatever's available, you know, yeah. like in the navy, I'm sure it's not like it was readily available, right? Yeah. So he's making yeah jug juice, as they say, and yeah. then the the thing we talked about. So well, we quickly learned that uh, Freddie has a problem. I mean, he he an old man drinks too much of his moonshine and becomes sick and people say that he poisoned him but he just says you have to drink it in the right way i mean he's a veteran this old man was just drinking it you know constantly sipping it so this old man's really sick and the people chase him off so he just he runs through this field cinematically gorgeous i love that yeah. scene yeah, of him running beautiful. away through that field and he's just you know he's he's hustling and he's screaming um and and he gets away and uh in the next scene he's basically just sneaks onto a party boat in a nearby town. So he's mm-hmm. obviously wandered away from the field that he was in. And I believe he gets on the, she- the ship called, I think it's called Athenia. Yeah. Alethia. Alethia. Which means truth, truth. I think, right? About yeah. That. Truth in Greek. So a little bit of foreshadowing there, if you have the time to Google what Alethia means. I know Greek. I didn't actually Google that. <laughs> oh, I just okay. happened to know it. Ooh, I wink. Yeah, right. So you're constantly revealing things to me. Yeah, this Next is thing I'll learn, you're like a FBI hitman <laughs> <Yeah>. or something. <laughs> Next week on Rewind Cinema. So it's obviously a party boat because people are having a good time. There's intimate lighting. People are laughing. Um, and then it just kind of cuts to him waking up the next morning and a woman waking him up and just telling her, telling him to follow her uh, to the room. And then this is where we meet Lancaster, who is Philip Seymour Hoffman. He mm-hmm. is the um, captain of the ship. Um, and then he basically just tells Freddie that he got drunk the night before and mm-hmm. then he was being belligerent with uh, some, some people on the ship. He said he could work for him, though. He offered yeah, to work. Yeah, said he was a seaman, and then he was experienced, so he could work on the ship. Um, and uh, and then Lancaster basically says that he um, drank all the liquor that uh, <laughs> that that Freddie brought on board. Yeah. So he's he likes the liquor that he makes. It obviously passes well enough for him, and uh, he invites him to his daughter's wedding, which is also on board the ship. That was a great scene too. The wedding. I, well, no, prior when he mm-hmm. when he meets him. Because Freddie's in the doorway, Lancaster's sitting down, but even though he's sitting down, he holds all the power oh, yeah. in that scene, mm-hmm. and he's he's calls him a scoundrel, yeah, right, <laughs> you know, he, right. and he knows right. exactly who this guy is. He's just mm-hmm. sort of a drifter at this yep. point, mm-hmm. and he asks him all these questions, yeah. and it's just 
it's so great to watch Joaquin. His physical characterization of mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. of his character is amazing in this movie. Yeah, um, when he lost he lost a bunch of weight for it, so he kind of looks yeah. a little bit oh, gaunt and bony. And yeah. it's almost yes. I mean I mean very much his the the visual of him almost represents who he is inside. That he's this delicate, absolutely fragile person. He, he walks kind of very simian. Mm-hmm. Um, has this kind of wide yeah. gate, hands on his hips. Oh, he's got a hunch. Yeah, yeah. And, he, always, and, he always puts his hands on the back of his, like on his lower back, like high, like up on high. His ribs. Yeah, and so his arms are sticking out, and as if he's like got like uh, chronic back pain. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. weird. But, but that scene, like the the subtlety in the writing of that scene when Freddie meets Lancaster, there's so many um, subtle lines that suggest to an immediate kind of hierarchy between them. Like even Freddie asks, "Is this your ship?" Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Lancaster <laughs> responds, "I am its commander." Mm. Yes, <laughs> and so there's even this very like just kind of authoritative language, and he he I think it I think that's when Freddie asks him like, "What do you do?" Mm-hmm. And he yeah. says, "I do many things." Many things. <laughs> and he says, "I am a nuclear physicist, a philosopher, yeah. a writer, a philanthropist." And he lists like, I, I mean, it's almost like he's kind of reeling off all these accomplishments yeah. before yeah. this person who clearly. In at least in the in the meritocracy of American society, has no Nothing. achievements at yeah. all. Yeah. But but above all, Josh, I am a man. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> that's what he says. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a man. I'm a, very, uh, I'm a man of constant sorrow. Something. something I, he says. <laughs> no, I don't think he says that. <laughs> I'm a, a some hopefully curious man or yeah. something, just like yeah. you. Most of all, my yeah. man, just um, like you. That's yeah. right. It's great. Yeah, I just I just love that scene because Philip Seymour Hoffman immediately, you know, that he's the guy that has the power. Yeah, he just immediately sets up that dynamic, and so mm-hmm. you can tell that he already has control over Freddie. So he invites him to the wedding, and this is where he meets the other, uh, the Dodd family. So Lancaster Dodd is Philip Seymour Hoffman's character, and this is where he meets Peggy, who mm-hmm. is Amy Adams, and he's the wife, or she's the wife of uh, Lancaster. And then Val, who is Jesse Plemons, who is the son of Lancaster. Mm-hmm. And then Elizabeth is getting married to um, the guy from Mr. Robin, Rami Malik, who I keep forgetting Rami his name. Malik. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so they're all part of this family which will make more sense later i mean they're they're a family but in more than one sense um so the following day he meets peggy and it attends a, a therapy session with um with lancaster so this is like what does he call it he calls it in a um an impromptu what does he uh, call what, it what's the word screening no not a screening not screening um, and i can't remember what he calls it Processing or something. Yeah. Processing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. In, in, impromptu processing is basically what it is. So this is where you really learn that there it, are but parallels. Not, but it's not Lancaster, right? Isn't it a, a guy processing another woman and, and Amy Adams? Oh, that's true. She says, yeah. do you realize, what, do, you, do you know what's going on? That's and true. They're observing. Yeah, he's watching. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So there's a woman in a chair being processed, quote unquote, by a man who is basically asking her to recall memories from her past. And this is where you learn, yes, there are links to Scientology. Um, what they did in Scientology is that they processed people. That wasn't the word they used, but they, they processed people, asked them to recall memories and get rid of the bad things that happened in their past. Mm-hmm. So it's basically setting up that this is a cult, that this is a bunch of people on a ship who believe the same thing. Yeah. And, and there's got to be, I mean, what, on, on the ship, they allude to maybe that there's 50 other people-ish on yeah. the ship that are part of this cause mm-hmm. called Beyond the Even cause. Just the Immediate Relatives. Yeah. Right. yeah, and it's called The Cause, which yeah. is very, you know, clever. You get around mm-hmm. your Scientology ropes there. Again, so. I feel like it, that's a Facebook, 
Facebook group I need to leave. The cause. I, don't know. <laughs> I feel like oh, that's man. what I need to join. <laughs> this is shedding light on many yeah. things. But I want to join the cause. Yeah, you know, right. I want to feel important. Right. So he, and then it cuts to him listening to tapes of Lancaster preaching, essentially. Mm-hmm. So this is where he says that we're not animalistic. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to shed that from ourselves. Mm-hmm. We need to become yeah. more enlightened. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny because as he's saying that, Freddie's not really listening. Oh, yeah. He doesn't really have <laughs> yeah. the headphones right. in. He's watching other people talking. And then he writes a note to the woman that says, yeah. do you want to fuck me? Yeah, right. right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then right. he just hands it to no, her. It just right. says, want to fuck? Oh, yeah. Question mark. Yeah. While they're all listening to things that yeah. where Lancaster yeah, is yeah. saying, man is not an animal. Uh-huh. We operate high above that crowd. Yeah. While Freddie <laughs> yeah. is purely proving that maybe man is exactly that. Yeah, exactly. And he's just kind of giggling and has yeah. this weird smarmy yeah. look on his face. <laughs> right. At least Freddie is about that. Yeah. So he hands the note to the woman and she turns him down. She just kind of clicks She's, in her headphones. She smiles and then like just doesn't respond. Yeah, and I was wondering. I was like, "Does that is that a yes or no?" Yeah. <laughs> what does that mean? No, yeah. well, she clicks on her headphones. So she's saying, "Listen closely." Oh, to what oh he's she saying. did. Okay, yeah. Okay. So she's trying to get him to pay attention. Mm-hmm. Um, and this this is where um, he makes more liquor for Lancaster, essentially. And this is where he has, like I said earlier, the impromptu uh, processing. Mm-hmm. And so this is a very long scene. Yeah. This is about a 20, yep. 25 minute so scene. Good. And a lot That's happens amazing. here. And this amazing. is one of the reasons that I loved the script because it was so good at developing backstory and the characters within the context of the film. So it wasn't like you were giving all of this um, information just like at the front shotgun spread. Mm-hmm. Like this is who he is. This is what he does. Yeah. It takes a little bit to get to it. But you learned about him. And uh, essentially, just starts asking him questions, and you learn that Freddie doesn't necessarily believe in God, and that he had sex with his aunt, and that he killed people in the war, that his father is dead, his mother is a psychotic, and you know he really opens up at this point mm-hmm. to to Lancaster. Super powerful scene. And then he, and then he, so he processes him sort of, and it's over quickly. Mm-hmm. And Joaquin Phoenix is upset by that. He's like, "Wait, that's it?" Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, Philip Seymour Hoffman wants to go back up to the top of the deck. He's like, let's have another drink before we go. Let's let's have some more of your crazy juice and mm-hmm. then let's go upstairs. And mm-hmm. and uh, Joaquin says, that's it. And he's like, well, okay, let's do it again if you're willing to do this again. But now you can't blink. Yeah. Right. yeah. You, you have to answer every question I ask you truthfully and you cannot blink. Or and we then, go back to the beginning. Or we start over. Mm-hmm. And they start and he blinks after what 30 seconds and he yeah. gets very very frustrated so he's very slaps in, himself yeah hard mm-hmm. hard yeah, really hard face. he's very into this <laughs> hard. very and, method um <laughs> yeah yeah and then just just the powerful acting of that scene yeah. of joaquin getting just so emotional yeah. and upset and and, to, and mm-hmm. to me it's at that point in watching it like watching watching this film for me that's probably the point at which i go what what is Lancaster Dodd's interest in Freddie? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, why is he even entertaining this yeah. idea when they seem to have nothing in common and when Freddie seems so far from the kind of humanity that Lancaster is intent on creating? Yeah. He doesn't seem to embody any of the kind of values or doctrines that the cause embodies. And so that's to, to me, that's the brilliance of that scene, or at least one of the brilliances in addition to developing character mm-hmm. is it finally raises the question, what does Lancaster yeah. want with Freddie? Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, and you see pieces of it. I mean, originally you think it's just he likes his drink. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He, he wants him to make more. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, if you can make more of this, then yeah, stay on the ship and work and 
But I, I, I'm always curious, is it like, does he see himself in Freddy? Does he not believe what he preaches? Does yeah. he know it's all bullshit? Does he just, mm. um, what is it, that? Or does, or does he want to just, does he want to convert Freddy? Does he, mm -hmm. because later in the movie he talks about how if we can't help him, you know, everyone wants yeah. Freddy gone, which mm -hmm. we haven't gotten to yet, but he wants to help Freddy. So it's, you're right. It's like, yeah. what does he want? Why, why, does, why is he interested? Is it, it, is it at this point that he has mentioned that um, he recognizes him from somewhere? Yes. That's important later. He's, he okay. says that in their first meeting. Yeah, he yeah. says it toward the end, and that that does kind of become um a, kind of a a beat that gets hit on multiple times. But mm. but that's but but again, I I mean, if if I liken that that scene when he's going through his first processing back to this Rorschach mentality, it's never told to us explicitly what is Lancaster's interest in Freddy, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that's where it allows me, even as an audience member to kind of even alter my interpretation depending upon where I am when I view it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I mean, it leaves room for interpretation, certainly. Um, but at the end of that scene, something important is that he asks him to recall a memory and he has a memory of a, a woman named, or a girl, she's 16, named Doris, that he basically fell in love with back home in um, Massachusetts. And uh, I mean, it's obvious that there's an age disparity there. They didn't try to hide that or anything by giving him makeup. I think that he's supposed to be in his late 20s, early 30s in this movie. And so, um, yeah, he just asked him to recall that. And he, he really, you know, starts, he doesn't sob, but he's definitely crying. Mm -hmm. Like you can see yeah, tears yeah. down his face. And right. so it really got to him. Excellent scene. And, and I'm pretty sure PTA was just like, okay, so you really can't blink. This is mm -hmm. what I want to happen. If you yeah. blink, we're going to start over. So yeah, I'm right. sure... Man, that scene is amazing. And and one more thing that part raises, the part where he weeps. Mm -hmm. You you do sense that Freddie experiences kind of this, even if it's just kind of a fleeting moment, a moment of liberation and connection. Mm -hmm. And then that right there for me as a viewer calls into question, is Lancaster Dodd onto something? Like, yeah. is this yeah. cause, is this, quote, cult and the philosophies behind it legitimate? Like, do they actually help people? And that becomes, I think, a critical tension Mm -hmm. as an audience member that you feel throughout is this a lie or yeah. is this legitimate oh definitely yeah, yeah. there's a lot of that and I, I do think the whole recognition like i i i recognize you from somewhere mm -hmm. is uh that becomes this manipulative thing to sort of keep freddie on the hook of mm. i mean maybe not it's it's only mentioned two or three times mm -hmm. but we'll get there at the end of the movie that's sort of something he uses to draw freddie back into the cause mm. to get him to come back is I, I remember where I recognize you from. Yeah, because right. in, in, in his uh, viewpoint, we've, we've lived several lives mm -hmm. and we're reincarnated and we come back. And mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, it, it becomes this way to sort of control Freddy yeah. a little bit. In the movie. Yeah. So they cut to the next scene and they're attending a party at a, obviously a wealthy person's house. This is probably just a follower of Lane Casters that's willing to host a party for them. And then... Um, just one important beat within that scene is Freddie just stealing from the house. So he's stealing some goods <laughs> yeah. and he sees the sculpture of a woman that he grabs and put in, puts in his coat and then he can't fit it. So it's he puts big. it back. Yeah. yeah. Puts it back. It's too big. Yeah. Which I'm sure has some sort of significant meaning that he can't, you know. Well, it is a naked woman. It is which a naked it, woman. Which again yeah. harkens back to what he saw in the Rorschachs. Yeah. yeah. We could dive into it. I mean, yeah. I think the point is just that Freddie is not, Freddie's just there. I think he and, He's he sort of enjoys the attention that he's getting, but mm -hmm. he he certainly hasn't bought in at this point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, not yet, but almost definitely. So um, 
It cuts to uh, later in the night, and Lancaster is performing what they call a recall on a party goer, um, the woman who's hosting the party, and other people spectate. So he's basically just asking her to recall important memories, and she goes through the same thing essentially that Freddie did, and she is enlightened, and she feels much better. And then a spectator in the crowd named Thomas Moore, um, John is, Moore, John Moore, sorry, is a skeptic. And so he basically calls him out and says that it's it's all fake, it's a ruse, you know, like they say that they can cure leukemia. Like how can you possibly do that by just mm-hmm. interviewing someone or whatever? Yeah. Andy says it could it could it could basically abolish the nuclear threat. Yeah. That <laughs> <laughs> this processing yeah. and recalling could essentially abolish nuclear war or mm-hmm. its imminent threat from humanity. Right. Yeah. So um I mean the cause has some very important tasks to take care of, but this is really just pushing Lancaster's buttons because nobody really stands up to him ever. So this guy just keeps pushing him and pushing him and pushing him. And eventually he just says, you know, like, I don't remember what he says before, but what I, all I wrote down was he calls him a pig fuck. Like yeah. in the middle of mm-hmm. everything. And everyone mm-hmm. just kind of stops and giggles yeah. and so looks at intense. him. So intense. So intense. It's, yeah. it's, it's amazing to, it's an amazing scene to watch because he, um, you, you see how, how amazing Philip Seymour Hoffman is able to sort of crank it up very very high and then mm-hmm. turn it down really low and he does that a few times in this movie mm-hmm. later with Laura Dern uh, when his second oh. book comes out mm-hmm. um, he does that a lot in his movies I feel like mm-hmm. he's very very good at being intense but it's amazing to watch because he's sort of as as a viewer as someone who I think and maybe not but at this point I was convinced that I mean I know this isn't necessarily Scientology as we talked about but it very 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 much parallels that mm-hmm. Um but I, I sort of sided with this guy who's a skeptic saying you, you can't know, you can't go back and cure leukemia. What, there's no mm-hmm. proof of this. And uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman uses the situation to sort of just make this guy look like a fool yeah. mm-hmm. simply by shouting him down. Yeah. Not by refuting him with evidence, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. by trying to answer his questions, but by trying to make him look like an idiot. Well, you, you're already answering your own questions, so why are you asking? Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and I think that happens a lot today with people with differing political opinions. It certainly happens, but it's it's mm-hmm. very very tense. It's mm-hmm. so 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 tense, especially when he calls him a pig. F. Yeah, <laughs> that's like a. It's amazing. You can old, say it. I'm scary. You're quoting insults. the movie. I right. just don't know. I just, I just, but, but that scene to that that scene to me is one of the most um, for for me when I view it, it's one of the most pivotal in terms of um, for me revealing theme. And when I go, what is this movie really about? Like, what is it actually about? Yeah. Like, yes, I know it's about this man and this man and these people, but but what beneath that is this movie about? And to me, one of the things that that, that scene alludes to that I find throughout the movie is it's asking the question, why do people join causes to begin with? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let, like, forget the cause, which is like the, you know, depending upon your interpretation, cult or legitimate, um, you know, philosophy. Um do people join that or whatever cause, whether that's a modern day political party or a religious movement um, or some philanthropic effort, do they join it because they believe in it? Mm-hmm. Do they join in it to find community? Do they join in it because they don't know what else to do? Do they join it because they're confused? And so it raises that question. And, and the, other, the other question that I think that scene raises that is so critical for me is I watch that scene and I ask, why does no one defend him? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Philip Seymour Hoffman, I mean, in theory, like if you think of this more in like medieval times or even today, if someone were threatening the president, mm-hmm. somebody would stand up. If someone was threatening either of your wives, you would stand up. Mm-hmm. But nobody stands up to defend 
the master, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Lancaster sure. done that scene. And the question for me becomes, why? And I think that scene is very much parallel to Freddy. Mm -hmm. Because in the opening, Freddy is being ridiculed, and he's ridiculed so many times, and no one defends him. And then you have this scene where no one is defending Lancaster Dodd when he's being berated, depending upon your interpretation, or at least challenged. Challenged, yeah. And no one defends him. Mm -hmm. and so to me, that scene is where we start to, in my opinion, get a glimpse that Freddie and Lancaster are the same. One is from the aristocracy and in a, in a position of power. And Freddie is more on the outsides in terms of he's more destitute. He's more damaged. But the outcome for both is the same. Yeah. Lancaster Dodd is admired, and so he's alone. Mm -hmm. And Freddie is an object of contempt, and he's alone. Yeah. yeah. And so it's a powerful idea that it's like admiration and contempt can leave people in the exact same place, and it leaves you alone. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's so much of what that scene is, is we're showing and seeing that though this guy is the leader of a cult, he's alone, and no one's there to defend him. Yeah. Yeah, and I, th I think this scene is also important because after the guy, um, you know, challenges Lancaster, Freddie picks up a, a wet rose and throws it at him. I think mm -hmm. it's a rose, the stem of a rose or the, uh, the head of a rose, and it hits him. And then Lancaster says, Freddie, stop that. We don't do that. Yeah. And so I think that it's important to note that Lancaster has the same urges as Freddie, mm -hmm. but he controls them. Mm -hmm. And so they're very, they're actually similar people. Cause he say he has that pig fuck line mm -hmm. or whatever. So he wants, <laughs> right. that's right. He wants to throw yeah. that rose, to that person, Absolutely. but he, he withholds it. So that, that was also another excellent scene. Uh, but then it cuts to the next scene and it has Peggy again, who is Amy Adams, Lancaster's wife, basically on a tirade. She's mm -hmm. saying like, you know, nobody defends you or like you know <laughs> yeah. like white basically what you just yeah, said right. so she realizing it yeah right. she, she could, could have done that she yeah. could have and it's also putting in the notion that amy adams has a bigger role than mm -hmm. you think she might yeah, right in the beginning of the movie yeah. uh, she yes. might actually the lady macbeth yes. yes essentially she turns and, the what do they say in my big fat greek wedding like the the the, the woman is the neck and they turn the head and yeah I don't know. Right. That's a bad reference to another <laughs> like weird movie. But I don't know. These movies are pretty similar. <laughs> it reminds me of Made in Manhattan. Yeah. <laughs> this reminds me of Jersey Girl yeah. with uh, Ben Affleck. Speaking of Geely. <laughs> <laughs> All the classics. Um, oh, my god! So at the end of that scene, um, Freddie turns to a man who was also at the party and says, you invited all these people, right? You have their yeah. contacts. So he goes to to uh john moore's house mm -hmm. and uh oh gets him to gosh. open the door we and don't then, know what happens to poor john, oh, moore. john moore him <laughs> and uh is it john carl moore. what happens to what's him? his name in the movie carl the the, the son-in-law the son-in-law the son-in-law yeah. rami, rami malik yeah rami malik again oh clark so <laughs> him and clark. him and clark go in and they beat up more essentially yeah. so now mm -hmm. they're a hit squad they knock on his door and they say the, the cause has a gift for you it's mm -hmm. like three in the morning yep mm -hmm. and he and that, and, and that scene leads me to ask the same question that we were asking of Lancaster when mm -hmm. Freddie and him were first processing. In that scene, we're asking, what is Lancaster's interest in Freddie? And now in this scene, we're asking, why is Freddie so loyal yeah. to yeah. Lancaster? Right. Yeah. So now right. like these questions are just kind of volleying back and forth between those two characters. Mm -hmm. It's also interesting that anytime Freddie acts out, Lancaster corrects him verbally, mm -hmm. but he doesn't really get upset right mm -hmm. I, and, and maybe that's just me maybe there's nothing to that but he sort of just basically says you mustn't do that yeah. you know we we're not animals don't do that but he doesn't 
There's nothing else. Yeah. He's not mad that Freddie went and beat the beat the crap out of this guy, when, right? Why do you think that is? I, I don't know. I don't know. But it's just kind of <laughs> because scary they to... have the same urge. Right. Gabe, right. Gabe, this is an unacceptable response, <laughs> and I'm going to I'm going to tell you why. Because art, uh, and I'm going to get all high falution. This is super <laughs> annoying. Please we do. About, we talk about Clue again in a second. Please do. But art is a democracy. And it invites us all to participate and to say, what do you think? And your value, just like your vote, is just as meaningful as someone else's. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And if we do not vote, we kind of forego the process and value of democracy in the same way with art. If we say, well, I don't know. My opinion's not valid. I don't have one. Mm -hmm. We're doing the same thing when we do not vote. So right now, okay, thank you. You have to participate in the democracy of art. <laughs> okay. Why do you think? Why do you think that is? Because I think See, he's the host now. <laughs> yeah, he Sorry. is. Sorry. Please, please. Sorry, I can't no, help it. Matt, I you're like fired. It, I'm I like fired. Um, <laughs> no. Okay. So I, I think, I think he, he likes it. I think he agrees with it. Yeah. I think that's why. Mm -hmm. Um. He can't. He certainly can't say that, right? But between him and Freddie, he basically just he has a small moment of correction. You shouldn't do that. We're not animals. Blah blah blah. But he has the same tendencies as Freddie. Mm. He knows. And again, I because I think Scientology is bullshit, and I'll say that publicly on this podcast, and that's fine. Tom Cruise is going to the cause is you. the cause is also <laughs> bullshit, and so I think that I think that even he, to an extent, and it, the the movie, the film never indi never indicates this. Mm -hmm. But like you have to imagine when he puts his head on the pillow at night and goes to sleep, he knows that what he's preaching is not real. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think I, it is indicated not by him. You think but so? By, but, people around by other him. people, yes. Yeah. But I'm talking about by him. And so yeah. I think that he just, yeah, I, th I think he has no no issue with it. Mm -hmm. He sort of had, and maybe I'm wrong. That's my vote in this democracy. <laughs> it's as valuable um, as anybody's. Yeah. But I think he, I think he likes it. I think yeah. he likes the fact mm -hmm. that Freddie is sort of wild. And mm -hmm. he's off the cuff, and he's not this weird, subdued, yeah. you know, Robotron like everyone else who follows would, the master. Would you go as far as to say you think he's envious? Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. I, I think he, I think he has to be. He, mm -hmm. he, he has to be this restrained, quiet personality. <laughs> even though he doesn't do that very well at the party, as we just yeah. referenced when he says "you pig fuck," mm -hmm. right? right? He let loose, and and uh, I think he has issues with that several times in the movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. So. Mm. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. That's my vote as well. I think he likes the fact that Freddie is unpredictable. He corrects him, but I think yeah. he'd... But I mean, in, I mean, I don't know, like in my own life, like don't, don't you ever wish you could just... Yes. ...completely forego all social sure. norms mm -hmm. and, and be savage and like... Yeah. And, yes. And, I mean, don't you wish you could ever just go, I am just going to kind of act out my base impulses? Yes. Mm -hmm. And there's something in us that goes, though that's not healthy, it doesn't mean I, I don't... That doesn't abolish the sort of wanderlust to do it. Sure. And so it's almost like he gets to vicariously live out some of these like more base animal impulses that he simultaneously condemns through, through his little yeah. protege. Yeah, 100%. Agreed. So just to clear that up, the day the day after he, he goes, sorry, <laughs> he goes. Thank you for pushing me, Josh. I'm sorry. No, don't be sorry. <laughs> he goes to meet with Lancaster the day after and tell him that more won't be bothering. He won't be a him problem anymore. anymore. He won't be a problem anymore. And and like we hashed over, Lancaster tells him not to do that kind of stuff. Um, and it's at this point that the the crew, which is basically you know whatever thirty people they have now in the cause, go to Helen Sullivan's home, who is uh, Laura Dern, mm. and um, this is basically where they're going to set up shop for almost the remainder of the movie until mm -hmm. the last ten minutes or so. Um, 
And so Laura Dern, who is Helen Sullivan in the movie. The great Laura Dern. Is hosting, and she's doing a talk back of sorts. So she has a microphone, and she's just talking about the teachings of the cause. And while she talks, Elizabeth Dodd, who is Lancaster Dodd's daughter, who is married to Clark. There are a lot of characters in this movie, sorry. She, she sits next to Freddie and just basically tries to seduce him. So she puts her hand on his leg and starts to feel, but he pulls her hand away and puts it to the side. Yeah. So you can see things are starting to conflict. You know, he's not necessarily the sex-hungry maniac he was before. Um, just little things. Well, maybe. I mean, I don't know about that. I just think he's maybe devoted to Dodd. And mm-hmm. I think we're just seeing... To Lancaster? To me, that scene communicated that, yeah, these people are they're part of it. I think they've bought in. But just not unlike Dodd's son, his daughter is sort of, I don't know. I mean, she's, she's, mm-hmm. there's a room, a crowded room of people at a presentation, and mm-hmm. she's trying to score with Freddie. And this is where I would have a different opinion. And this is where I think we see another, for me, a, a very paramount theme in the movie where I don't think that's real. Mm. I think that's all in Freddie's mind. Okay. I don't, I don't think she's actually touching him. Mm. Just really? like if, if we flash back to the wedding scene, when she has never met Freddie, when he has never met her, and P.T. Anderson has established for us his obsession, it, it almost, almost an inability um, to see women beyond sex objects. Yeah. In the wedding, he's looking at her, and the camera shows us very explicitly her looking at him, though she's never seen him before. Mm-hmm. So to me, that is an initial breadcrumb. That's what Fred. That's Freddie's perspective. That's his fantasy. And I think that scene when they're processing at this home, Helen's home in Philadelphia. I think this is all Freddie's fantasy. Hmm. And okay. I, and I think that's evidence in the fact that before it, immediately before it, they show her fiance, mm-hmm. and they show him sitting there almost as if to go, why in the world? Would she try this in yeah. front of all these people in broad daylight? We're not in a dim cavernous room. Right. Mm-hmm. Why would she do this? And so to me, this starts to kind of demonstrate yet again that even when the, the entire room is experiencing one thing, they're kind of all engaging one thing. Freddie can't even engage it. it. To me, it's reinforcing his isolation by showing that his fantasies preclude him from participating in kind of society. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can get behind that theory. I mean, I, I, I like that because later in the film, it's I think obviously, it obviously showed very blatantly. Yeah, there's that, probably multiple, I, I would argue, and we'll get to it, but multiple mm-hmm. times where though P.T. Anderson doesn't do it in the typical um, filmmaker process of like showing blurred right. screen and like, you know, the Wayne's World <laughs> lines yeah. or whatever, yeah. that, that he is diverging and now going, we're not seeing it anymore through an omniscient eye. The camera is no longer omniscient. Now right. we're watching this story through Freddie's eyes. Yeah. Okay. And, and we'll get to the, the next scene where um, Lancaster is entertaining the house. He's singing for everyone. And uh, you, it cuts to Freddie and he's leaning back in this booth and he's like, Drunk. his eyes are squinty. He's yeah, he's obviously again. wasted. Yeah. And so there are all these women in the room and in the first cut, they're all clothed. They're all enjoying the song and then it cuts to him on the sofa or wherever he's at and it cuts back and they're all naked. Yeah, there's a couple of women playing piano, like two women. Well, spectators as well. There's just the a bunch song of women is in the room. I'll go no more roving. Yes, yeah. and he's singing it. Lancaster, yes, mm-hmm. and um, 
shows Freddy observing and then cuts back and then cuts back to Freddy watching again and cuts back and they're, everybody's naked except Philip Seymour Hoffman. The men are not No, naked. just all the women. Just, 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 the women. The women. just all the women. Yeah. So we're definitely inside of his head now mm-hmm. watching how he sees this this scene. And, yeah. and if you want a, a really, I don't know if you call this an Easter egg, but here's a little subtlety. Earlier in the movie, like if you flash back maybe 34 minutes, Philip Seymour Hoffman, when they're still on the boat, comes to Freddie and says, hey, when we're done, I'm going to give you a little signal. Yes. Squeeze my nose and tug my ear. And when I do that, that means we're going to meet up and grab a drink. Now, in this scene, in Freddie's fantasy scene, when all the women are naked and Lancaster Dot is dancing around, he looks at Freddie, he squeezes his nose, Mm. and he shakes his earlobe as if to say, let's meet up after this and get a drink. But it's all in in Freddie's little... Interesting, fantasy. weird fantasy, which is amazing. I didn't even see that. I didn't see that either. I need to rewatch this now. Yeah, because I missed that. Well, it goes when you've seen it a uh, hundred yeah. times. Yeah, <laughs> that many wasted months. Yeah. You see a lot. Um. So after that scene, we cut to um, Lancaster in the bathroom. He's getting ready for bed. Peggy comes in, and uh, the only way to put this politely is she pleases him. Yes. Into the sink. <laughs> Um, you, don't, so. you don't have to say that. I think you could just say, I think you What do you want me to say? I think you could have gotten away with she pleases him. You she don't have to say, him. into the sink. Into the sink. That, that becomes critical later. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, does it? <laughs> so, she, this is basically, I think, just setting up that she controls him because she says, you know, I see you looking at other women. Mm-hmm. Um, you can have sex with anyone you want. You can do anything you want to do. Just don't let me know about it. Don't let anyone else know about it. Yeah, no one that we know. Yeah, and then she controls his sexuality, essentially. And she says not to drink any more of Freddy's hooch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So right. uh, what was that? I mean, I'm ignorant here, but she, he's he's getting ready for bed or something. He's looking in the mirror at the sink, and she walks up and does that. To, to <laughs> his, she services him at the sink. Yeah. And wh- why does she say that? She's just telling him, like, I noticed that you... Are observing other women, yeah. and you can. But she says before that, I think you can do anything you put your mind to, or you can do any, do anything you want to do. You're powerful. You're this. You're that. What What's that scene about? Because I'm I need help here. I'm I'm just mm. a, I'm just an un, uneducated movie reviewer, <laughs> as, well, we've, I, as I, we've established. Yeah, I think it's in relation to base like have sex with anyone you want. That's what I got from it. Like, so you think this is part of the the um, cult leadership thing like she she's encouraging him to do that or she's saying you can and i won't complain maybe or she's because if you if you go in the last scene you can see her looking at freddie and i think she knows what he's imagining and so she's obviously seeing freddie rub off on him so maybe she's just giving him the okay you know you're a powerful man you can do whatever you want okay just don't let me know about it well and and i and yet again in, in my opinion, I mean, whether mm-hmm. whether this is objectively true or subjectively true, which is, again, I think is a big part of the movie, mm-hmm. but I would liken this back to, I, I would put that conversation in the bathroom when she was saying, you can do whatever you want between us mm-hmm. as long as it doesn't damage the cause. Right. I would put this in a greater context of everything she says and everything she does is for the cause. Like, yeah. I, I, I would ask, is there one scene in that movie when you believe that there is genuine love that any of us would aspire to in our own marriage. Mm-hmm. And I would say no. No. Like there's no, no point in that movie where I go, I want what they have. Yeah. yeah. Everything she seems to do is for the cause. And so I would say that yet again, that scene is is what I take from that scene and what I'm left with is going, she doesn't care about the marriage, but she cares about the cause, which to me, and, and this is what I was bringing it back to, reinforces Lancaster's isolation. Mm-hmm. Like even his wife 
isn't so much loving towards him in the way that we would want right. our spouse or friends to be. He's a means to an end for her. Right. Yeah. Like people who we admire often are. Like mm-hmm. if if I like like when I think, man, I, I wish um, you know, insert famous name here. When I think when I fantasize about uh encountering those people, I don't think I really want them to be my friend. It's usually mm-hmm. that I want them to do something for sure. me. Yeah. And so I guess I see that scene as reinforcing Lancaster's isolation that even amongst the people who in theory would love him, it's not love there. He's a he's a figurehead, mm-hmm. um, but he's not a person. Right? Yeah. Yeah, she's obviously the brains kind of controlling the Lancaster, who is the the diplomat. He's the mm. he's the person, quote unquote, in charge, but she's really in charge. Which, which, and, which uh, we'll see at the end of the movie. Yeah, and I know you said she wasn't what you wanted her to be, but I also, for me, I think she was sort of this, mm. it was a great to watch because she is very quiet throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. She is not have she does not have to raise her voice. She does not have to get upset. Mm. And she has these few scenes that really establish how powerful she is, especially mm-hmm. at the end of the movie. But mm-hmm. I, I liked it. I mean it was it was creepy and, and good. Yep. But but she she certainly holds sway over him, I mm-hmm. think. So uh Peggy wakes up Freddie in the middle of the night and uh tells him that he'll have to leave unless he quote unquote quits boozing, what she says. Um, and she tells him to put something in his future and just imagine it. Just visualize it, Matt. Just visualize, visualize it, bro. I'm doing that every day. Do that every day, <laughs> dude. Know? When you wake up in the morning, visualize that future. What do you think I do? It's the secret. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is it? <laughs> I'm starting the cause. I just want yeah. you to know that. Yeah, That's yeah. right. <laughs> um, yeah, just a small little scene, I think, just reinforcing what happened in the previous scene that she's really in charge and that if he doesn't shape up, then, you know be out um and then in the following scene he drinks from a flask on the porch so it's obvious that he's not going to follow the instructions no, no. and this is where val who is lancaster's son says you know it's all he makes it up as he goes the great landry it's, clark yeah, yeah that's right <laughs> from exactly. clear eyes Lights. full hearts man yeah, he, has, he has clear eyes <laughs> yes awesome so, show. he's also dating tyra which i don't know how he he pulled that off but oh, yeah, do you mean in did. real life or no no oh, just okay. in the show I was oh, like, okay. banks yeah <laughs> <laughs> no. it's an age tyra discrepancy banks. there a little bit of an age difference <laughs> yeah no friday night lights tyra yeah, sorry yeah, right so yeah he just says that he makes it all up as he goes <laughs> so there are obviously people that are on the inside that that don't necessarily think that it's all what it seems to be and it's at this point the police come to the house and they have a warrant for arrest for Lancaster uh, and that he's running a medical school without a license in this house, essentially. So they see it as a, med- a medical school that he's trying to heal people, but he doesn't have the technology to, mm-hmm. so he's really damaging the health of people. Um, and it's at this point where they arrest him and then Freddie gets involved and fights the cops um, and he gets taken down too. And the whole time, Lancaster's screaming, don't hurt him, don't hurt him. Like, stop, Freddy, stop. So he's trying to control his urges again through Freddy, but Freddy doesn't stop. So he gets arrested as well. Um, and it's at this point where they end up in jail. And uh, this is one of the, the facts that I had, essentially, that... So <laughs> so uh, Joaquin Phoenix goes super method in this scene and right. so he's handcuffed from behind he bangs his back on this bunk bed hooked to the wall so it's just constantly going up and down that must have hurt like crazy yeah like and old he, cast iron yeah bed super heavy yeah, bed he great. kicks the wall he kicks the toilet 
And this is actually a historic prison. So that toilet was an original toilet. And it's a very important toilet because it's original. So he broke it. And he didn't think that he could do that. So just a fun Shatters it. Yeah, yeah, he shattered. He yeah. kicks it, shatters it. Yeah, his reaction here, uh, I had the same fact, was improvised. And he didn't mm -hmm. think he could or would break the toilet. And he yeah. kicks it in the on, thing. On the first try. Shatters. Demolishes the toilet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's amazing because he just rolls, they roll film on this whole scene. It's, it's He fantastic. even, I think, bites the mattress and starts <laughs> yeah, tearing tries the to, fabric mm -hmm. away. Tries to do whatever he can. It's crazy, man. It's crazy, but it, it lended to an excellent performance, so I'll allow it. <laughs> um, Lancaster just says that, you know, this, this fear of imprisonment comes from millions of years of history. And then Freddie confronts him and says, you make all this up, you know, bas basically what Val said. And they yell at each other and they just say, you know, Lancaster's obviously yeah. like, I know what's good for you. I know yeah. everything comes from the past. It comes from a place in your heart. Freddie's saying, you're making all this up. It's, you know, bullshit, essentially. Mm -hmm. Like, stop trying to, mm -hmm. to fix me. And that, that scene is so visually striking because they're, yeah. they're in adjacent cells. Mm -hmm. So there's just bars between them. And Freddie is shirtless. His pants are torn. Yeah. Um, and then Lancaster Dodd is still like in his nice suit with an ascot and his very finely groomed mustache. But, but I mean, it, you know, yet again, for me, this is where they're the same person. It, it really functions like they're looking in a mirror. Because the way we see the scene, we see them both in profile yelling at each other as if mm -hmm. we're seeing the mirror image mm -hmm. of the other person almost like the second side of one's soul and they're just yelling back and forth at each other i mean it's so visually gripping but it but it is it's like they may be in different places in the hierarchy of life and in society but they they're meeting the same fate right mm -hmm. they're both in a cell they're both isolated they're both alone and maybe that's for me why they connect as deeply as they do and why they want each other so badly. It's almost mm -hmm. like their isolation is the very thing that leads them to want each other. Yeah. yeah. And this is something we haven't really gone into, but the cinematography in this movie is breathtaking. Oh. It's constantly mm. informing and mm. reinforcing what you should be feeling in the scene. And I think that's why PTA is honestly a master because he, you know, he writes, he directs, he produces all this stuff. So he has his hand in everything. And he has a very distinct style, and it really comes through in this movie. And I just wish that I could have seen it in 70 millimeter because mm. I hear it's absolutely breathtaking. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, so that yeah, they're just fighting in the jail, and then Lancaster in court is ordered to uh, pay money back to a woman, um, to her fund essentially. So I guess he's been embezzling money somehow from her, and then also to pay for her sailing boat. Mm -hmm. So I, maybe that was the boat they were on earlier. Yeah, I think so. Like there was yeah. charges for fuel and mm -hmm. damages yeah. or something. Maybe I don't know to the boat. But. Stuff he never paid back. Yeah. So he's just instructed to pay at this point. Um, Clark. So they're at dinner later, and Clark, like we mentioned before, is the son-in-law of Lancaster. And at dinner, he basically says that he doesn't think Freddie's as committed to the cause as the cause is to him, and that he thinks he's a spy. And Peggy, Peggy and Elizabeth think so too. And this is where Elizabeth, so this is, this is why I think it's interesting that you said that it might not be reality earlier when she's coming on to him because she kind of coyly says, oh yeah, and I think he has the hots for me too. Mm -hmm. Like she's trying to pass off any feeling mm -hmm. that she had for him in that moment, which I don't know how you feel about that, but mm -hmm. um, everyone essentially at this point is, is turning against Freddie, except for except Lancaster. Except for Lancaster. Who is yeah. the most important person maybe besides Peggy. Yeah, very good scene. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I I don't know if I agree with your your mm -hmm. analysis. I I wonder mm -hmm. if it was real or not. Now mm -hmm. now you have me 
curious. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because I feel like it could play both ways. I just don't know. I and, have no and, idea. And I would say the, the way I interpret that, that scene, and specifically the comment, I think he has the hots for me. I think mm. he does. Yeah. Like, I, sure. don't th- I don't think she's lying. I don't no. think she's being deceitful. But I, but I don't think in any way, to, to, see, to me, that solidifies it for me because I go, yeah. he has demonstrated that. Right. She has not reciprocated. Mm-hmm. But but he has demonstrated that wanting, that longing, and so her comment to me solidifies that this is his fantasy that mm. she would reciprocate, yeah, and that she that she would uh, kind of want it in kind, and 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 I mean that that scene though is so pivotal because again we're seeing who is defending either of these individuals, and the only person ever defending either of them seems to be the other yeah the only person ever defending Lancaster is Freddie the yeah. only person ever defending Freddie is Lancaster it's like they're alone mm-hmm. in this whole movie un- yeah. unto themselves even when they all kind of want to banish Freddie from the movement mm-hmm. it, it's at this point where Lancaster says that if they don't help Freddie they're failing him now yeah. when you see that though mm-hmm. like do you think how does I guess my question is how does that make you feel about Lancaster because because mm-hmm. I, I believe this about a movie like the one we're talking about mm-hmm. um we can get bogged down in what does it mean mm-hmm. what is it as opposed to going how does this make me feel yeah and to me that's a more intimate and a more difficult question to ask when we encounter anything mm-hmm. like to ask about meaning it's not that there's not value in it but i can separate that mm-hmm. from my own kind of personal uh emotions but so when you see that scene when he's saying hey if we fail freddie that's on us. And, and I mean, it sounds very kind of righteous mm-hmm. and noble. Like, how does that make you feel when you watch that scene? Um, I guess I don't necessarily feel any particular emotion. But what, what I go back to is just that I think they're linked through time or they both believe that. That mm. they've, like we'll get into later, they've known each other and what they believe is yeah. a past life. Yeah. Or every, they look familiar to one another. So they have this connection and I guess I I didn't I don't want to say I didn't feel anything during this movie, but for me it was a lot of like sensory overload. I was constantly mm. thinking about where this is going, what it all means. So like to me, yeah, I felt empathy, I felt sadness for characters, I felt excitement when I thought things were going the way I thought they were going <laughs> and stuff. But yeah, I don't I don't really know. It just reinforced for me that there's something linking them that's greater than yeah. But when you watch that scene, like, does that make you? I, I guess maybe what I'm asking is, does that does that scene mm-hmm. at all lend credence to the fact that the cause is legitimate? Mm-hmm. Or that at least I, Lancaster has noble intentions behind him, that he's not just a charlatan? Yeah. No, I think that he has noble intentions. Um, in terms of reality, I don't think that it necessarily would work. But, <laughs> um, you know, I, I think that he believes that it does, mm-hmm. for the most part. I think yeah. that... There's a scene later we'll talk about where I think he wavers a little bit. Yeah. And I think that he doesn't necessarily believe it too. But but, but that's a huge that's a huge separation though when we think mm-hmm. about things and and not that either can't be equal in destruction, mm-hmm. but there's a difference between um being ignorant in in your effort or in your method, but noble mm-hmm. in your intention mm-hmm. and being knowingly deceitful in what you're doing. Yeah. And and I think that's where that line with Lancaster comes is like in a scene like that is a great example of you go, is this just a misguided person with good intentions mm-hmm. or is this a charlatan who knows he's deceiving people just to kind of create for himself a, a niche yeah. in society? Yeah. I mean, that's the central question, I think. <laughs> yeah, I like it because that is a very tough 
that is a very tough thing to think about. Is sort mm-hmm. of in that mo- in that scene, uh, he wants to protect Freddie. He does say, "If we're if we're not doing, you know, we're not helping him, or, or what's the line you just said? Um, uh, if we don't help him, we're failing him. Yeah, if we don't help him, so so it is yeah. very. It lends itself to showing that yeah, he has honorable intentions, but at the same time, it does make me ask: Is he doing that to save face, to keep up appearances, and to appear as this guy who?" Mm-hmm wants to help people even to his family he has to keep up those appearances and so yeah. it's great because mm. it's it's scary i have no idea i mean i i feel like he does care for freddie deeply and i think that's mm. indicated by the by the end of the film mm. which we'll get to but i i don't i don't know it's tough i don't know why <laughs> mm-hmm. i mean I, I think he sees himself in freddie which is maybe why but yeah and, and i think you sense that in the next scene when freddie returns home or home but to to laura Dern's home um, and they wrestle outside the house. Yeah, so after like they've this, been released from prison. Yeah, there's right. this kind of jovial. Yeah. Um, because Freddie in the prison says, "You know, this is all, this is all crap. You're, yeah. ma- you're making this up." Yeah, yeah right. which they, there's footage in the trailer that they didn't use in the movie, yeah. which is a, a great scene. He says mm-hmm. something like, yeah, "I know you're saying all these things, but you're saying things that aren't true, or mm-hmm. something like that." I'm paraphrasing, but mm-hmm. yeah, they didn't use that. But that's his idea in the in the prison is that he's like, "This isn't real." Yeah, mm-hmm. um, but he still comes back. He's still drawn back to the master. Yeah. Uh, and what follows next is another one of those very long sequences um, where Lancaster uses Freddy as a demonstration <laughs> for, I guess, oh, a man. new form of therapy they're working on. Um, but he asks him to go to this wooden wall in the house. And then he asks him to walk back to a window. To the window to the wall? Yeah, to the window to the wall. <laughs> That's where it came from. Yeah, true. PTA must have been bumping that while he was writing this. Oh my gosh. So Revelations. So he goes back and forth, um, and, and Lancaster tells him to do it with his eyes closed. And I think what they're getting at with this scene is that the wall maybe represents um, the cause, right? And that the window represents where Freddy wants to be. So that's like his old intuition right so as you can tell later in the in the scene in the sequence this is a long part of the movie but he goes back and he like mimics sex on this window right yeah. so i think that's where freddie wants to be and i think the wall is mm. is kind of the roadblock for him to get to where he needs to be personally that's what i would i got yeah. from it. um and there are other things that happen in this peggy goes on one-on-one with him and asks him to like change his eye color or change her eye color essentially mm-hmm. another therapy session Freddie and Clark are mediated by Lancaster, who tells them one person can talk to the other without saying anything for a minute. <laughs> yeah, so you just have to listen to the other one. You can't respond. Can't respond. In any way. Yeah. And so it's just, it, like I said, it's very long, but there's a lot of stuff kind of packed into this mm-hmm. 20, 25 This was minutes. a hard sequence for me, because mm-hmm. especially the, win- the window to the wall scene, um, <laughs> <laughs> as, we will, as we will name it. Because to me, all it was doing, and I don't know if this was... PTA's intention, but it's just showing the utter pointlessness mm. of this mo- of of this study, of this religion, of this movement, of this mm. philosophy. Because at the end of it, after I don't know, fifteen, ten, fifteen minutes, um, Lancaster f- says, "Okay, stop." You know, as he always says to people, "Come back to me. Mm-hmm. Stop. You know, open your eyes and come back to me." And when Freddie opens his eyes and stops after he's very frustrated. He's punching the wall. He's, he's been doing it for, it's for 15 hours. minutes of film, but right. like mm-hmm. suggested hours right. that he's right. been it's doing through it. Yeah. Lunch, like they're eating lunch out on the patio, watching him from the outside. Yeah. He's, he's he, he just can't grasp why he has mm-hmm. to do this. And at the end of it, 
and maybe this is, you know, you're supposed to think about this. Maybe it was off camera. I don't know. But all he does is hug Philip Seymour Hoffman. There's mm. no resolution to this. Mm. They don't explain why he had to do it. They don't explain what he got out of it. He just says, open your eyes and come back to me. He opens his eyes and they're there and they smile and they hug each other. Mm. And there's nothing to indicate what this exercise was for. Mm. So for me, it just re, it, it just showed how frustrating and pointless mm. this movement is. Wow. And, and I don't know if yeah. that, that, that's, yeah. not, that's not a deep analysis. I'm just saying, I no. think, I think fr it was just another way to push Freddie, and for you as a viewer to go, man, this is such, this is so fake. This is nothing. See, I think that's that's where that's where uh, I, I'm. I, I agree. Like I watched that, and I, and I and I hearken back to what you know, Matt. You were referring to Val saying when he goes, he makes this up as he goes along, mm -hmm. because it seems like a very kind of um, extemporaneous idea where he goes, just walk back and forth and yeah. tell me what you feel on each surface. But then when he gets to the end, like when I watch that scene and Freddie hugs the master, I again sense this like relief and this sense of like, however I judge it or not liberation for him. Something happened for him. Yeah. And so to me, that's the fascinating question is whether Lancaster's intentions are bogus or not. Right. If it's providing something of value to another, then how do we judge the method to mm. begin with? And so I think that, that's to me the complex question. I mean, you know, before I, th I think it was before we we came on the air, like we were talking about Whiplash, the movie. Yeah, mm -hmm. similar in in the way that we judge J.K. Simmons' um, character as the band director in that movie because he's so harsh. Mm -hmm. But when we step back and go, yeah, but is he actually bringing the best out of some people? And you go, yeah, yeah. he yeah. is. It doesn't mean that it justifies it, but I think it makes me soft pedal um, my condemnation of it. And I think it raises the question, does the end justify the means? means. And to me, that's what that scene mm. with Freddie does is I go extemporaneous or not, whether it's made up or not, does the <laughs> end, if it's mm -hmm. providing this person relief, does it justify the means? Fair enough. I think that's a good place to take a quick break. We've been going at this for about an hour and 30 minutes. We got about 20 minutes Wowza. of the movie left. So let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. Again, a shoe commercial, toothpaste. Yeah, imagine we had a sponsor in that Anything. break. Just go back in your brain <laughs> and just um, go to your mind palace and imagine yeah. that you know someone was was, yeah. was sponsoring us. <laughs> it's gonna happen, Matt. Just believe it. I believe. So we're back in our discussion of the master. It's been very fruitful so far. And just to recap, where we were a few seconds ago, we talked about a very long sequence where um, you know Freddie was going through some auditing new things that uh, Lancaster's trying out. We had a few thoughts. It's at this point where Peggy announces that they're going to have the first Congress of the Cause in Phoenix, Arizona, where Lancaster's going to release book two. So obviously something big is on the horizon. Lancaster's been working on this new book. 
and they're going to have a conference in Phoenix. The Split Saber. The Split Saber. Yes. Nice title. Sci-fi, right? Kind of yeah, sci-fi. I guess. I don't know. I, yeah. I don't know what that book was about. But I, I think one of uh, Oron Hubbard's books were called was called Excalibur. Yeah. Oh, okay. so there's a little there's a little bit of a shadow sure. of that title happening. Mm-hmm. Sure. Another uh, callback to your old friend Scientology there. <laughs> so um, maybe they'll sponsor us. <laughs> <laughs> um, Lancaster and Freddie are in the desert now, and um, they're excavating this box. And um, Lancaster says that it's his unpublished work. Which to me is just, it's another bonding moment, obviously, but it's kind of like, I mean, I don't think anyone else knows about this except for Freddie at this point. So their closeness, they're sharing these secrets about one another that nobody else knows. Mm-hmm. It's just a very, I guess, tender scene. Yeah, I, I wasn't sure what was happening here. I thought for a second, just because of my movie knowledge and history like i thought he was going to pull out a gun and just murder <laughs> joaquin phoenix out in the desert you know because it's That's you know a different like movie. I, right like i had no idea i was like he's gonna kill him yeah, right, right now yeah, why is he right. why did he bring him here and uh no it's just to excavate his his unknown work which mm-hmm. the scene doesn't necessarily do much or go anywhere it's just sort of i guess it's there for them yeah. but yeah i i think i think though there's a I mean, sorry to be annoying Mm-mm. again. You're not. But I think there's not. a lot there. Like to me, this is so revelatory in terms of Lancaster's character and telling us one, um, how how self inflated he is about the importance of this work. Right. That mm-hmm. he would bury it like a <laughs> right. ten million dollar treasure in the desert. Mm-hmm. And if you watch the scene, I mean, they they, they really are in this kind of desolate. It fe- it feels kind of like a southwestern landscape. They take a gun. As if someone might be coming right. after them. He has a gun on his on his hip. So, so mm-hmm. to me, it suggests this, and and this is again kind of hinted at throughout the movie. Like Peggy says it, the you know the government and spies and people want this and people want that, and this is kind of the crescendo of his paranoia, and and his sort of egotistical view of what he's doing. Mm-hmm. That it's way more significant than anyone else perceives it to be. That he would bury this in the desert and think. We need to bring a gun mm-hmm. in case anyone's coming after yeah. us. So to me, it's like very much his paranoia. No, I agree that that, and I think that I realized that afterwards. I said, "Oh, all that showed was, as you said, how ego, egotistical he is. Yeah, just right. how how self important he thinks yeah. he is. He's, and, and maybe, and maybe even as detached from reality yes. as Freddie is, just on kind of a a more tolerable end of the spectrum. Maybe his his detachment from reality is just a little more palatable." but he's no less detached. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you sit there and you wonder, he wouldn't be keeping up this facade for one person, right? right. He wouldn't just be doing this to sway Freddy into mm-hmm. joining or believing the cause. And so in that moment, I said, oh, he really believes mm-hmm. that he's this important. Well, he yeah. already had a following before Freddy. Right, oh, right. So, of, yeah. of course, right. But I, th- I, but still, you think like, is it fake? Is he just doing this to get attention? But then in, the, in mm-hmm. this scene, where they they've buried these un unpublished works, it's mm-hmm. like you, yeah, you wouldn't just take, you wouldn't do this for one guy. Yeah, and and it seems it seems beyond just charade. Yeah, like this again, delusional as it may be, at least it seems sincere in its yes. delusion. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Good way to look at it. It's obvious that you thought about this movie a little mm, bit. No, dude. This is like the life of a writer. You sit around I and you know. like pretend to write stuff and really you're just watching other people's stuff. <laughs> Whatever works, <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, right. All right. So um, 
it's at this point that Freddie hands out pamphlets in the city, much like somebody trying to get you to take a tourist bus in New York <laughs> it's a funny downtown. Scene, yeah. funny it's scene. a funny scene. Funny yeah. Scene. It, what, I don't, what do they say to each other? Uh, uh, yeah, uh, re- heal your mind. Heal your or, past or something. Yeah. Heal past trauma. Heal, heal past, past trauma. But Freddie doesn't say that. Clark says that. Yeah, Freddie's and everyone's ignoring Freddie. And then he starts doing <laughs> yeah. what he does. <laughs> But you can you can you can see the change in Freddie because Freddie wouldn't have done this, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, I don't. This movie probably spans a few months. He wouldn't have done it a few months before, right? You think? Sort of, but it but it it was still funny to me because Freddie's not into it really. <laughs> yeah, and he's he starts not. to copy Clark. <laughs> yeah. uh, he'll pass traumas. He'll heal your past traumas. Yeah, right. Do this, mm-hmm. do that, and he yeah. just starts to repeat what he's saying because he he's just not he's not really that invested. I think. or at least he's not effective. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, he's not good at passing out. He's not a good man on the street. Yeah. No. <laughs> so he obviously he uh, also records a radio ad just for the cause, and he adds a line at the end. I can't remember what he said, but it works. It works. Yeah. It works. And he's like, he turns around to Clark and says, "I added that." <laughs> yeah. It's immense pride. Yeah. yeah. It's so great. And then he um, he takes pictures of Lancaster, which was uh, a throwback, I think, to the scene with the overweight guy that looks very similar yeah, to Philip right. Se- Philip yeah. Seymour Hoffman. That's a mouthful. Philip Seymour Hoffman in the beginning yeah. of the film. So he doesn't obviously push the lamps on him closer and closer, but. Right. Right. I don't know what that means, Mm. that he recalls that back, but it means something, I'm sure. (laughs) So um, everyone attends uh, the Congress, and they hear a sermon from Lancaster, basically expounding upon the thoughts in his new book. And uh, I think he also mentions that um, the secret to life is laughing, which is a common theme throughout the movie. He he always says little things about laughter and how that's important, um, and that everything originates from inside of the individual. So we're kind of in control of our lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And another thing about that scene where, again, and not unlike Scientology, none of this is explained. Mm-hmm. And again, maybe in the world of the movie, it's explained off camera, right? Maybe the, maybe the, the sermon at this congregation in Phoenix is, is explained, but he's like, oh, I've discovered the secret to life. Mm-hmm. And it's very serious. And yeah. everyone laughs and ha ha. And it's laughing. It's laughter. Mm-hmm. It's just this weird yeah. cult-like yeah. just thing, this idea, and everyone's supposed to just believe, like, oh, it's just, that's the secret of life yeah, is laughter. Right. But then there's yeah. nothing else that expounds beyond <laughs> that, right? And so yeah. it's, I just I I love it and I hate it. For, not not the movie. I just I, it makes me frustrated as a viewer. Like I want to know what mm. why. Mm-hmm. But then I think it is showing how silly these things are. Of like, well, th- there's no explanation of yeah. that. You're just supposed to blindly believe that and then i think another another random piece of trivia apparently the phoenix family changed their name their last name to phoenix according to imdb after they got out of the children of god cult they believed that because they escaped they wanted to change their last name which i don't remember what their last name was before phoenix but they changed it to phoenix symbolizing their like rising Mm. above this rising out of Mm. it which amy adams says "We're, we're doing this in phoenix to symbolize Mm. How we are, we're this wounded creature and we're going to rise up out of the ashes. And so again, I don't know if that's just weird made up lore, <laughs> but it is, it is an IMDb trivia note about the Phoenix family, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, I think it's well known they changed their name, Yeah, but I didn't know it was, you know, in, I didn't put two and two together within the context of this movie, but that's, that's interesting. Apparently it was a result of them getting out of that cult. Yeah. was mm. that they, they escaped and they're going to rise up. I mean, and... I'd want to change my name too, so. Well, but that, <laughs> and, and that nature, I think, that's, I think that's significant though, Gabe, even just to the whole like kind of 
um, ethos of the movie and the whole aura around it is that a lot of times in cult stuff, it's not explained. Like no. to me, that's very congruent. Right. The film is to a lot of the way these things go. Um, though I have never participated in a cult, uh, I, I've read a fair amount, whether that's about David Koresh in Waco in the 90s mm-hmm. or Jim Jones and uh, the People's Temple, that, that, you know, the tragedy in Guyana where all the people drank the cyanide lace. Yeah a beverage and you know all those people died that that there it it speaks to the like desperation of people that were like i need something yeah i need something and so lancaster dodd for all these people at the phoenix congress exposition aside becomes this something Mm -hmm. for them even if they don't understand it even if they don't get all the reasons why even if it doesn't make sense it's like maybe as people we don't need all that because it provides us enough to hang on to and so like i think that's like for me, when I watch it, part of the potency of the movie is that I going, are you people crazy? But yeah. at the same time, I know that in my own life, there's echoes of me just needing that kind of little grain to hang on to. And that's enough for me to go along with something. Yeah. yeah. Well, Matt, maybe you can speak to that. I mean, tell us about your time in Waco um, uh, when, you, when, when you kidnapped, yeah. when you kidnapped yeah, you know, Petty Hearst. What was that yeah. like? <laughs> when you were a Branch Davidian. Yeah. You know, it was all fun and games in the beginning, and they gave us rifles. <laughs> yeah. Right. And then they told us yeah. to defend the yeah. fort, and it was just... <laughs> you just thought it was a, a retreat for a weekend? And, turned yeah. and then I realized I was in Waco, and I was I like, what am I there doing? there were no go-karts, and I was like, wait, what am I doing here? Um, oh, goodness. Okay. <laughs> so uh, Freddie meets up with a guy who was, earlier in the movie, was the guy that invited everyone to the wealthy woman's party, um, who's an editor, I guess, mm-hmm. of, um, of Lancaster's work. And then he he basically asks him like you know what what did you do for Lancaster and then he leads him outside and then he just you know he beats the crap out of him he slaps him in the yeah. head a few times and uh, I guess that's just another extension of of something that um, you know his like primal instinct kicks yeah. in like he feels protective of Lancaster yeah. and this criticism because the guy says he doesn't like Lancaster's book yes the new book yeah, yeah. he says I think it should be chopped down to a pamphlet and yeah. handed yeah. out to be on the subway and Freddie says. Yeah. Can we go outside? Yeah. And then he beats him on the yeah. street. Yeah. Yeah, the guy calls Lancaster a mystic. Yeah. So it's obviously like he doesn't believe it. Yeah. Right. At least yeah. anymore. Maybe he never did. Yeah. I don't know. But Freddie takes it out on him. Um, and then this is another, this is kind of where I see a lapse in um, Lancaster's believability, mm. or mm. not believability, but his, I don't know what I'm trying to say here. His, he seems less ardent yeah. in the way he even prescribes to his own philosophy yeah, in the right. upcoming scene. Yeah, so Helen Helen notices that there was a change in the processing platform question, and it changes from can you imagine to, or it changes to can you imagine from can you recall. Mm-hmm. And Lancaster passes that off as um, it allows for more creative responses, but you can tell he's digging for an answer. You know, yeah, it's like it's a great scene. Yeah, great like moment. he he didn't think about it. Maybe he changed it. You know, because he didn't, he wasn't as aware of it as he thought he was. And so, I mean, I love that scene because it, it shows a little bit of a, a chink in his armor there, yeah. you know? Um, and that's yeah. why he snaps that and I referred yells. to earlier. He says, what do you yeah. want? He yells it. And in, 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 in the, they're still in a, you get the idea, this is a piano playing in the background. Yeah. You kind of mm-hmm. see some kids playing. Yeah. That this is not a private conversation. Mm-hmm. No. And for the second time, he kind of snaps publicly. Yeah. yeah, and everyone, uh, the people around, 
it doesn't really show them, but a couple of people that are in the frame that are kind of blurry. Mm-hmm. They turn around they, for a they second. They stop and they yeah. notice it and then they kind of continue. Yeah. But And she's one of his most loyal kind of yes. acolytes. Like yeah. she's kind of one of the people really pushing his philosophy and he yeah. snaps at her. Yeah, I right. mean, she gave up her home to him and mm-hmm. 30 people for mm-hmm. however long it was. Um, yeah, so I, I just love that scene because I thought it revealed a lot about Lancaster. In the next scene, Lancaster, Freddie... Clark and Elizabeth play a game called Pick a Point in the Desert. <laughs> and so this is essentially where they bring a motorcycle out of the mm-hmm. desert. Lancaster says, pick a point and drive to it as fast as you can. And so he says, I'm going to go to that winding road. On a motorcycle. On a motorcycle. Yeah. Lancaster rides his motorcycle as fast as he can, and then he comes back, and then he says, Freddie, <laughs> you do it. It's so pointless. Why? Why? We I don't think it's there pointless. Yet, why? If no other reason, Philip yeah. Seymour's voice is just great because he comes back yeah. and he goes, thrilling. Yeah. <laughs> thrilling. <laughs> thrilling. Yes. Okay, so let me ask you this. Freddie takes the bike mm. and he goes off in the other direction that yes. Lancaster was going and he doesn't come back. What do you think that means? Well, so at that point in the movie, I mean, first of all, I don't know what this game is about. Yeah. I, I I can't pick even begin point. to venture what pick a point is about because it's utterly pointless. It's auditing. It's his new <laughs> processing. Be, yeah, right. It's, he picks a point and he drives there. On, <laughs> oh, let's go there fast on a motorcycle and drive back. Um, at this point in the movie, I was I had a you know I thought I was artistic and I was like, oh, this is the end of the movie mm-hmm. because he drive uh, mm-hmm. Walking Phoenix names a point, yeah. goes in the other direction, and just continues to drive. It could have been. Right. So I was like, oh, this is so beautiful. He's escaping. He's getting out of it. He realizes this is all bullshit and he's yeah. going to get away and he's going to go and just live his life. And uh, he, he did eventually come back. But I, I don't know what it's about, Matt. That's the thing. Is I, I have no idea. And then I think that's part of what the maybe what the movie wants us to, to feel is that this is pointless. And you could say that I'm wrong. I, have no I don't idea. know. I don't know. But I, I, I know that w- one thing that sticks with me is, I mean, keep in mind... Um, and, and you mentioned this at the outset, Matt, like this, a lot of this movie, it's not, um, it, it's more like we're looking through a photo album mm-hmm. as opposed to just a chronological or linear plot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like we're getting snapshots knowing that there are gaps that our imaginations have to fill in. Mm-hmm. So in this scene, it's interesting because just based on the structure, it's coming right after the Congress where his book is released, mm-hmm. where, um, even on stage when he's giving this kind of speech, he seems to even, you, you get a sense that even he's sensing a little doubt in himself. That's how I feel. Mm-hmm. And then there's that scene with Helen, who's one of his kind of foremost acolytes, mm-hmm. questions him. He says, what do you want? He snaps, and then it, sh- and then it cuts right to the scene of a barren desert. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in the very distance in the center of the screen, you see this motorcycle and car coming toward you. So again, I when I see this, I go back to, he's alone. Mm-hmm. He's alone. That's what this is about. Mm-hmm. Like, he's alone. And I feel like even the framing of the shot, and it's not just desert. I mean, it's desert with, like, you know, sand with crevices running all the way through yeah, it. There's yeah. nothing. It's desolate. It's mm-hmm. dry. It's kind of zapped of any um, abundance, no fertility. And then there's Lancaster. Mm-hmm. And I kind of, I, I am just brought back to the sense of he's alone. Freddie feels alone the same way that he does, even though he's been going along. And so Freddie says, this is not sating my desire for any sense of connection. Mm-hmm. I got to find I'm it out. somewhere else. Yeah. And so he leaves. And so I don't know if it's about him necessarily thinking that the doctrine is bogus, 
whether it's bogus or not, I think I interpret this as him going, whether it's, quote, true, objectively true or not, it's not meeting my need for connection. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I feel like I'm the same person, the same lonely person I was as when I was the soldier on that beach in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And he leaves. Yeah, he's choosing his own path. So I took it. Yeah. Um, so, like we said, he leaves with the bike and he doesn't come back. So he, where's it going to go? He goes to Doris's house, who is the woman, or the girl, sorry, I keep saying woman, the girl who was 16 years old that he fell in love with, or recalled the falling in love with early in the movie in their first processing session. Which we didn't, we didn't mention, but during that session he says, I, I have to get back to her. Yeah. yeah. I have to get back. He's to obviously her. in love with gotta her. Gotta get back. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, he goes back to her house. He knocks on the door. Doris's mom comes out, and she explains that Doris got married and moved to Alabama three years ago, and that Freddie was going to come back, but he never did. So he just he missed his chance. Um, which you would think that this would totally shatter him, mm -hmm. just because that seemed to be what he was working toward, or at least it was hinting that he was working toward like getting back to her at some point. Or was he ever getting back to her? I don't know. There's so many questions in this movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, she's gone. That's essentially the gist of that. Mm -hmm. So he missed his chance. Yeah, it's it's a nice little scene on the porch with Doris's mom. And mm -hmm. uh, he sort of just has to, is Doris here? I'm here to see her. Okay, well, tell Mr. whatever I said hello. And it's just it's this odd, like, mm -hmm. I don't know call back to his former life, I guess, before he left for the Army or the Navy. Well, and it's <laughs> peculiar because he shows up anticipate. I, I think if I'm remembering just the con contextual clues of that conversation, it's been about nine years. Mm -hmm. A while, yeah. yeah. And so the idea that he is anticipating that she will still be waiting yet again suggests to me that he is so detached yeah. from yeah. reality yeah, right. mm -hmm. that right. she would nine years later, even though they have not corresponded, yeah. Even mm -hmm. though he has kind of demonstrated no interest that she would still be sitting there. Yeah, with her she was a sophomore in high school. In high school. Right. <laughs> and, now, and now she's 23, so seven, eight years, maybe nine, something like that. But the fact that she would still be sitting around yet again reinforces, like, he is, he is so far removed mm -hmm. um, from how people operate. And, and that scene, I think, is, is really critical to that. Mm. Yeah, and something we didn't explain earlier is that when they were recalling the memories, she wanted to leave for Norway. I don't know if that was permanent or temporary, but she said that she's going to go meet the rest of her family. Mm -hmm. And um, Freddie says, you know what? No, you're going to stay here yeah. because I'm here. And then he leaves for the Navy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know what that's saying, but it's obviously a harken back to that in some way. Um. And then we cut to the next scene, and Freddy is sleeping in a movie theater. And this is where dream and reality really came into consciousness for me. I was like, okay, at this point, what is he thinking? Like, is this real? Is this not? Mm -hmm. But he's, I think it's Casper. or some, a, It's definitely a cartoon. It's a cartoon movie. <laughs> he's the only one in the theater. He's sleeping. And then a guy with a phone comes up. He's an attendant at the theater. And just hands him the phone, and he picks it up. And it's Lane Caster on the other end saying that, you know, he misses him. Like, we're in England now. <laughs> The cause has moved to England. Come, bring me a pack of cools. Yeah, yeah he, he can't yeah. get he can't get his favorite cigarettes. In yeah, England. they don't have yeah. cools over there. The menthol. Yeah, have those minty menthols. flavor. Yeah, those minty, minty flavor. And what made me feel like it was maybe a dream is because he takes the call right, and then it cuts and he's asleep again. So it's like he mm. took the call, and he was he either fell asleep again, a or b. It was a dream the entire time. Mm. And I guess it kind of reveals it in the next scene where he goes to England 
And um, it's almost like they weren't really expecting him in a way. And the cause is now like a big enterprise. Yeah, they have a it's school. Like a big yeah. school. It's like, yeah. but, but you get the feeling they've almost like uh, kind of taken over or leased like what used to be like an old seminary or an yeah. old university property. Like it's, it's mm-hmm. that kind of like castle-like structure. Yeah. yeah. It's huge. So he, he walks in and he meets with Lancaster. And um, essentially, um, uh, Peggy says you know like we should have left him behind he's not ready for this he doesn't want to embrace it mm-hmm. and she leaves and that's kind of the final moment where you're like okay peggy was really the the brains the entire time mm-hmm. it kind of solidifies that and lancaster you know basically asked him to stay he's like you've left once if you leave again i'm totally going to discommunicate yeah. you and you're just going to be gone yeah, i love that what does he say he says we'll be, we'll be mortal enemies, mortal yeah. enemies. in the next if life. i see you again next life, in the next yeah. life we will be mortal enemies and he also expounds on where he remembered him from which was their past apparently they yes. were french soldiers fighting yeah. the prussians in but a see, past life so to me that I, I didn't get the sense that it was a dream or that it was you know fantasy i i thought it was real which was which now that I think about that is very odd that a man would just bring you a telephone in a movie theater. And, mm-hmm. Not to yeah. mention that, it, and I don't think this is an inconsequential detail, that it actually shows many long coils of phone cords. So the idea is that, so not only is, is he, does Lancaster know that he's at this theater, right? wherever he is, because it's really not um, explicitly stated, but that also... Um, the phone cord reaches from wherever the front desk is into <laughs> the theater, the the down balcony. the aisle. I mean, it's the details are a little bit kind of beyond the the constraints yeah. of reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I thought it was odd. I was like, "Is this real?" But then he he, as I was alluding to earlier, he uses that memory to manipulate him to get to get him to come back to England. I remembered where we've met. Mm-hmm. Come back and see me, and I'll tell you. Mm-hmm. So maybe. I think I agree with you both. I do think it was now like fantasy or a weird dream, mm-hmm. right? Because he's left. He has nothing. The girl is gone. Doris is gone. Mm-hmm. He has nothing to hold on to. So he was going to go back to Lancaster. And uh, yeah, but I, I'm glad that you said that because I didn't, I didn't take it as a dream. I was like, that's weird. How does he know he was in a theater or whatever? I'm just going to suspend my disbelief here. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, the most interesting note to me was that the progress they made while Freddie was gone. They shed Freddie. Yeah, they moved right. to England. They have a huge following. And when, when it's seen, and, and the last we've seen the movement was kind uh-huh. of what what at least was suggested to be kind of a failed launch right. at this mm-hmm. Congress. What what seemed like it was kind of imploding now all of a sudden has kind of Flourished, ascended yeah. to new to new heights. Which apparently mm-hmm. happened with Scientology. They did apparently move to England at one point during mm-hmm. the movement and established a school or a, a, an yeah. office there. So another mirror there. Um, and then the, the, the last scene of the movie, um, is, well, the last two scenes The Freddie goes to a pub and he sees a woman who catches his eye. They see each other. And then he asks her, you know, he mouths, you want to drink with me? And then it cuts to them having sex. Um, I don't, maybe his apartment. I don't know where he's at at this point. And, um, and then they're having sex and he says, do you think you can look me in the eyes and not blink? It'll help you. Yeah. And then you're just like, oh, did did he pick up anything? Is did he learn? Ah, my head exploded at that point. And then he's asking like, her like these processing right, questions, yeah. and he's kind of laughing, yeah. and they're yeah. kind of drunk, and he's laughing. Yeah. And, yeah. But I I want to go back and talk about his time with uh, Lancaster, Lancaster, yeah. because at the end yeah. there's a very important scene, where, but mm-hmm. I, which I made me very uncomfortable, but also amazing, amazing, where they where he sits there and like 
holds his hand. He doesn't hold his hand, mm-hmm. but he's they he sings slow boat to china i'd like to take you (laughs) on a slow boat (laughs) to china China. all to myself right yes there you go so that's on a spotify playlist sings it to him (laughs) he sits there in his office in this giant office with a desk and this big room and he Mm -hmm. just looks at him and and i don't know it's this strange very very intimate Mm -hmm. scene and you see either the deep connection there or the deep manipulation there i have no idea yeah but it, i know we need to talk about it because yeah. it was important well and in yeah i mean he he whether you interpret the theater scene as a dream or not regardless the end is the same mm-hmm. is that freddie yeah. goes to england yeah i mean regardless right mm-hmm. and he shows up and val meets him kind of at the entryway and freddie has this kind of Kind of heart for me, a heartbreaking, almost childlike response when he sees a picture of Lancaster and goes, I took that picture. Yeah. And you sense him kind of taking pride in what's going on around him. And then Val leads him and Gabe, like you said, it into this like palatial room. I mean, it's massive, cavernous, big, huge. I mean, it, yeah. it, it feels like he's sitting in a cathedral, but yeah. it's just his office. Mm-hmm. And yet again, I see that and I go, Guess what? The movement is ascending, and guess who's still alone? Mm-hmm. Guess who's in this massive room alone? Yeah, is Lancaster now? His wife is there, but even the way it's shot, and and I I don't know anything about you know directing or filmmaking, but even the way they have her, she's seated behind Philip Seymour Hoffman in the shadows. Yeah, mm-hmm. as if she's not like she's not his peer, she's not his companion. She's kind of just this um. I don't know, it's almost weird. this judge over him. Yeah, she's you know? way over to the right yeah. behind him, up yeah. against the wall. And Freddie comes in and sits down. He brings the cool cigarettes like you mentioned, but she asks the question. She says, and this is to me what what for me reinforces the 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 dream proposition of the theater scene, is she says, what are you doing here? Mm-hmm. As, if, as if this is more mm-hmm. out of the blue. Okay. Yeah. She says, what are you doing here? Mm-hmm. And and the master doesn't seem to have expected this. This seems kind of odd. Yeah. And he does. He has this conversation of, you know, do you want to stay? And 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 I think I think Peggy says this is something you either do for a lifetime or you, or don't, you don't do it all. Do this it isn't all. fashion. Right. Mm-hmm. And you know she leaves, and Freddie makes a funny quip about. It. He says she's really lightened up. <laughs> and then they have this dialogue where the master says I remember where we met and Matt you mentioned this but then mm-hmm. he concludes it by it feels like a romantic overture he sings the song that we yeah. mentioned mm-hmm. yeah. feels like a romantic overture and and then he concludes it by saying if you can find a way to live your life without a master without any master at all please let us know mm. and it's suggestive of this and you know for me this is kind of the the I don't know the punctuation mark subtle as it may be on what is the story of the whole movie that every person has a master whether that's lancaster dodd or a religious movement or an addiction in freddie's case or a trauma sure or a or a you know an affection or whatever it may be he says if you find that please let us know but then he kind of tells him if you if you leave i never want to see you again Mm -hmm. and freddie leaves but that's such like a and freddie's crying in the middle of that scene, he looks almost more emaciated than he's been throughout the movie. Yeah. And it's really heartbreaking. But you, it, like for me, I watched that scene and I, because by the end of that scene, Peggy has left the room and it's just Lancaster and Freddie. 
And I just see these two lonely, ostracized men for different reasons, but they've arrived at the same place for different reasons. And even they, like, don't choose each other, Mm -hmm. you know? And they're kind of alone when the movie ends. Yeah. Okay, discussion's over. See you guys next week. <laughs> well, but, but then the final scene, but, but yeah. to me, then there's, like a, there's this little, like, there's this little, like, what, like, little button on what the do they call it? Yeah. yeah, like the yeah. little postscript. Yeah. And it's Freddie on the beach again where the whole movie began and he's laying mm-hmm. down beside the sandcastle walls. Yeah. And that's where I go, loneliness. Right. Yeah. It's have loneliness. you learned anything? Have he you, has have a, you... all he has is a sandcastle companion. That's yeah. what it, he has. And I would say him lying tenderly next to the sandcastle was him evolving in a way because if you think about him molesting the sandcastle in the first scene yeah but he lays next to it in the first scene too so when i went back and watched the second time i was like well that's not true i guess he hasn't really evolved at all the first time that's what i thought because i didn't remember that he laid next to it but yeah i don't i think i part of me wants to call it lazy writing but it's not because it's pta and i have to give him the benefit of the doubt i have to yeah. say pta knew exactly yeah, what he was exactly doing right. in this film yeah, yeah. Sure. so yeah i mean that's the end of the movie I, I mean i love this movie and we can give our final thoughts um yeah i'll start yeah i just i love this movie and the first time so i watched it twice and the first time that i watched it i was obviously confused and there were some things that didn't really make sense to me and the second time i watched it a few things made more sense to me but i know that it requires more than two watchings it's one of those movies like my favorite movie of all time is eternal sunshine of the spotless mind Mm. and you have to watch that so many times to really get the kind of ins and outs of it the intricacies to piece everything together and i think this is much the same way i think it's brilliant screenwriting i think pta is one of the greatest film minds of our time right now um in in i thought the cinematography was gorgeous Mm. Everything informed the next scene. Everything, you know, really highlighted the power struggles that were happening between all the characters. Um, And then just the performances were miraculous. Yeah. Really all the way around. Like I said earlier, Amy Adams, I just feel like there might have been a better casting choice. Mm. I feel like she did fine in this movie. Mm. I just feel like she wasn't that quiet dictator to me. Mm. I feel like there might have been somebody better. I don't Mm. know who, but I'm not a casting director in Hollywood. So I don't make those decisions. And I mean, it's, I don't think it's the perfect film, so I can't give it five out of five, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to give it 4.5 paint thinner cocktails out of five. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. Um, okay. So I, I'm going to piggyback on Matt. I, I, I thought it was great. I loved to, I love just sort of taking part in, in this journey and this thing. I, was trying to think about it after I watched it, and I don't think the movie is asking you to follow a plot. I don't think there is really a concrete... I mean, there, there's, a, there's the story, right, of Joaquin Phoenix and what he mm-hmm. goes through, but it's, it's very, very uh, choppy and convoluted and sort of back and forth, and I, I think the movie is just asking you to watch and to just observe it mm-hmm. and to, to, to take part of uh, in, in his life and in what he does. And... Um, I don't know. I, I, I thought it was visually beautiful. I really, really enjoyed it. I, I loved Philip Seymour Hoffman. I think he's freaking amazing. <laughs> Joaquin was incredible. Um, I don't want to drag on too long here, but I just think it was a neat experience. I need to watch it again. I've only seen it once. I didn't watch it twice. 
But uh, I'll be sitting down with Allison to watch it again to make her watch it and give <laughs> give me her thoughts. Um, so for me, uh, it was great. I'm going to give it four Rorschach tests <laughs> out of five. There you go. Oh, I like that. Yeah. So that's it, it's out of five. That's what we're doing. Out I mean, I want to make yeah. sure I'm hey, like man. congruent with the system here. Yes. You can yeah. give it A man. plus. I mean, whatever I mean you, you can give whatever you want. <laughs> whether whether that's you know two. Fonzie thumbs up yeah. or, or, <laughs> or you know I, I mean for me it's for me it's five out of five um i mean i i i don't know how many times i've viewed it but it continues to remain meaningful fresh relevant to me um i mean to me if i could boil it down and i don't know if you can and that, that may be a fool's errand with something like this but if i could boil this movie down to what is it about i would say it's about how our unique perspectives have the potential to connect us to people, but simultaneously they have the potential to isolate us from people. And to me, Lancaster's cause is the very thing that isolates him from people. It's the very thing that makes him alone, um, creates his paranoia, um, creates this sense of rejection amongst maybe mainstream society. For Freddie, the same thing is true. His perspective, who he is, the way he views life is the very thing that um, kind of alienates him from people, and yet then simultaneously it's the very thing that joins those two people together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and and then I guess the other paramount question is what what does it really mean to believe in something? And I and I think those are just really really perplexing um, questions to ask. And I think that's why the format and structure of the movie is fitting to the questions because it's not mm -hmm. easy, and it's not tidy. Um, and it's and it's not simple. I mean, I I adore this movie, a hundred ways, mainly mm -hmm. because it's confounding, and I feel like it's a labyrinth <laughs> that I never quite right. find my way out of. That's that's primarily why I love it. So I recommend it highly, mm -hmm. understanding that it's certainly not everyone's taste palette. Oh, thank you for for recommending it. It was good for me to watch. Neither of us had seen it, and it was it was awesome. Yeah. So, so you're just gonna give it the Josh Rebox seal of approval, oh, or what are you gonna I mean, give I mean, it? I mean, I I, <laughs> I put it, a rating on it? five out of five. I, I give it okay. Put it put it like this. I, again, I would say this is not a movie that you should watch and ask what does it mean. It's like it's like a sunset or a symphony or deep dish pizza. Forget what <laughs> it means. It. Forget what it means. Just yeah. ask yourself, how do I feel? Like as I'm biting into this deep dish pizza, how do yeah. I feel? I feel amazing. <laughs> yeah. I, I I feel ecstasy. Yeah. That to me is the way to be able to savor this movie most. Is just to ask, how do I feel? Forget what it means. And so with that in mind, I give it the I, I give it the what five. Five uh, paint thinner. Five <laughs> ethanol glasses. Five torpedo ethanol glasses. All right. Hey, this is why we have guests on, and this is why we <laughs> ask them to pick a movie that's important to them, because this is the kind of stuff we get. When you're passionate about something, you can talk about it for two hours, and it's still yeah. interesting, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hopefully no one has given up yet. Uh, no, no. We, we've had a great time. Josh, thank you so much for being thank you. on the show. Thanks yeah. for having me, guys. Of course. Really, if there, really is there anything it. you want to plug? Can you say the name of your book? Oh, uh, man. No, don't you know, make I'm, him I'm do not, that. I'm not going to say the okay, name of that's it fair. yet. But, just be on the lookout for uh, No, I mean, more than anything, y'all, just thanks for having me. Awesome yeah. to be with you guys. Thank, thank you so much. You can yeah. find Josh over at joshreebach.com. That's right. JoshReebach.com, R-I-E-B-O-C-K. Correct. Correct. JoshReebach.com. Uh, he's also on Twitter at... I'm on Twitter sometimes. Some, somewhere. <laughs> at Josh Reebach. At Josh yeah. Reebach. Yeah. yeah. Um, please go buy Heroes and Monsters <laughs> if you have not read it. It's an yeah. incredible book. Um, look forward to what he's got coming out in the future. Mm -hmm. um, 
yeah, so so that and then if, if you want to give us some feedback, uh, leave us an iTunes review. We would love that. Find us at uh, on Gmail, Rewind Cinema Podcast at gmail.com. Twitter, Twitter, not Twitter. Twitter. Twitter, Twitter is too. a weird app for twins. I just <laughs> made up. Uh, Twitter at Rewind Cinema Pod. Facebook at Rewind Cinema Pod. Mm-hmm. Um, Music was provided by Natural Anthem. Yes. You can find them at naturalanthem.net. And uh, until next time, watch, watch more movies. movies.